Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Wednesday, February 28th. We are here live. It is time for Destination Health. Jump in and join us. Those phone lines are open right now. 855-950-3835. We will get to those calls as soon as they start coming in. I just have a couple things I'll talk about while we're screening some of those calls. Looks like they're coming in uh, pretty quickly. So we'll get to those. Keep dialing. At the bottom of the hour, uh, we will be joined by James White. He's the CEO and owner of KBMO Diagnostics. That is uh, one of our partner companies that we use for some uh, food sensitivity testing, gut barrier testing. Um, we're going to be talking about those tests and what they're good for and why we would use them. And if you have any questions about that kind of stuff, gut barrier, what we're talking about there is when we use the term leaky gut, there's a lot of misunderstanding around that term. People think that leaky gut is, oh, how do I want to say this? Like a, um, They'll call and say, I think I have leaky gut because I have diarrhea or whatever. Leaky gut really isn't a symptom. It's a condition and we can't really feel leaky gut. You can't feel that at all. There are no direct physical symptoms of leaky gut. There are clues. If you have an autoimmune condition, you probably have leaky gut. That's how it starts. But we can test for leaky gut. There are several different ways we can test for leaky gut and then know that we need to heal that gut. Now, that leaky gut can cause other problems down the line that you do feel and um, realize there's something going on. There are symptoms, but for the most part, leaky gut itself, uh, we don't feel it. it. It's not a symptom. So we will uh, we'll talk about that at the bottom of the hour. Um, jump in and join us. It is a destination health free for all. Uh, you know, one of the things I'll talk about while we're screening some of those calls, when you do what we do here, when you do what I do, when you are constantly reading, you know, new books about, you know, functional medicine and when you are, when you follow, you know, functional medicine doctors and, and that kind of becomes, you know, my world online. I follow a lot of these um, practitioners. And honestly, I, I follow a lot of people now that are a lot like me. They're not doctors. They're not practitioners. That's not how they got into this. They just started reading and changing the way they ate. And many of those people are very, very effective at spreading the word, sometimes way better than doctors and practitioners. Because you got to remember, doctors and practitioners, even myself. I spent a lot of time doing this, helping other people. That doesn't leave as much time for me to post on social media all day. But uh, a lot of these kind of carnivore, keto enthusiasts that really have no um, educational background in nutrition at all, other than maybe some of the books they've read. You know, we, we tend to look at that and go, well, why would you listen to them? Well, why wouldn't you if they're getting results? Here's the one thing I will tell you about health. It, it's at its core, it is not complicated at all. 
It is really simple to understand what it takes for a human body to be healthy, top to bottom. I mean, we've talked about all of these things, our, our teeth, our skin, our hair, our metabolic systems. It, it is not hard at all. It really comes down to one thing, live as close as possible to how we lived as hunter-gatherers. It really is that simple. If you could do that, most of all the stuff we talk about and are concerned about health-wise would just disappear. You wouldn't need to understand why. You would just be healthy. Now, we, we've, we've talked about a lot of ways, and we've made it much easier to eat like hunter-gatherers. In fact, it's pretty simple. It's one of the easiest ways to eat, eat mostly animal products. See, it's simple to explain to people. And it's really effective and it works. And it works because that is how we evolved. We've talked about it. You want to go out in the woods and and survive as a hunter-gatherer, you will die as a vegetarian or a vegan. You're just not going to survive in the wild. You can't. There is not enough food for a human being in, in the wild unless you become a very, very good hunter. That's what it would take. We ate animals. And that's really all it takes to be healthy diet-wise. It's just not that complicated. Because of a few things with our food supply, you will find better results if you take some daily supplements. I'm not big on a lot of supplements, but there are some we've definitely figured out that, that will increase your success and make you feel and operate even better. But for the most part, I look over the last nine or 10 years, however long we've been doing this, and it's been a progression of just simplifying this. I think about all the stuff I used to talk about in the beginning. And I, I was thinking the other day how I just don't talk about a lot of that stuff anymore because we don't need to. We used to, I used to explain gluconeogenesis and, and we don't talk about that anymore. The more we learn, the simpler this becomes really is that easy now the lifestyle part of it that is more difficult that's kind of the where the stress protocol comes from as hunter gatherers we we lived in a very different environment that we live in today we lived basically outside we lived being grounded to the earth a hundred percent of the time we got a lot of sunshine and fresh air we also experienced a lot of temperature extremes throughout the year very hot very cold now we tend to live in 70 degree comfort all the time we didn't have all the poisons and the microplastics and the toxins as as true hunter-gatherers. You can't avoid those things anymore. So we have to do the best we can knowing that is the situation. Yeah, light. Light was, a, was one of the things that really changed human beings when we developed artificial light. When we lived as hunter-gatherers, when it was light outside, you worked. When it was dark outside, you didn't do much except maybe sit around a fire. Our, our lifestyle, the lifestyle part of this is far more difficult to try to, um, to optimize than the food side of things. 
But it doesn't mean we shouldn't keep working at it because it is an important part of this. But one of the things I really got thinking about is, again, you can become very optimistic when you are working on this and helping people with it every day, following other people that help. It seems like this is a real trend. And honestly, it's just not. The the, the health of our country is not getting any better. And the small groups of people that do what we do aren't going to make any big change in that. Now, it certainly changes our lives. I can't think of a bigger way to impact your life than to get your health truly under control has a huge impact on our life. But there's just not enough of it happening that it's going to change the health of our country. What we're going to see, I've talked about this before, is a divide, not a divide between rich and poor. That's one divide. It keeps getting bigger. But we're seeing another divide in this country, and that's the sick and the healthy. But the sick, by far, are the huge majority. It's not even close. And it's getting worse, not better. And that's why that that divide is going to get bigger and bigger. The good news here, this is really in our control. I've talked about this before. If you wanted to make it to the 1% of the wealthiest in our country, well, good luck. I mean, that, that's not easy. Almost never happens. It's, it's really, really rare. Trying to get to the top 1% financially, uh, probably not going to happen for the vast majority of people. And honestly, who cares? To get to the top 1%, you're making so much money. It's, it's, at that point, I just don't even understand the point. So that, to me, I, I like to be financially comfortable. I, I don't ever think about getting to the top 1% or 3% or whatever it is. But health-wise, health-wise, you could put yourself in the top 1% of health, and it's not even that difficult And think about that. What's more important, really, your health or your wealth? And you will find once you get healthier, all the other parts of your life start to improve as well. But think about the difference in opportunity there. You're not going to make it to the top 1% of wealth, but you can easily, and I I mean that easily, make it to the top 1% of health. Look around. There just aren't that many healthy people anymore. And it's getting worse all the time. And no wonder why the, uh, the CEO of Kellogg's has been promoting because, you know, this, this, uh, this inflation is hurting people. Food has gotten expensive. He's got a great idea, though. You should just eat cereal for dinner. That's his idea. He came out with that. Well, of course he wants you to eat cereal for dinner. But why would you listen to somebody like that? Why does the media even put that out? Our media is so biased anymore. There's so many things they could be reporting on that would help people get healthier. Instead, all I saw all over the news in, in my feeds and the places I go read news was about how the CEO and Kellogg's going to save everybody from inflation because you should be eating cereal for dinner. First off, I will tell you this. If, if you were eating beef for dinner or eggs, or pork, or chicken, or, or, you know, a real carnivore diet, yes, that food looks expensive at the store, but I promise you, you'd actually spend less. Try eating cereal for dinner as a family. What a joke. And everything about it is so unhealthy. 
I can't even believe we have CEOs of major corporations posting stuff like that, report it, and then we have people that report on it and spread it. And uh, I, I can't even imagine what a horrible idea. And by the way, like I said, you're going to spend more money eating cereal for dinner. When you try eating this really, really cheap, and honestly, it's not cheap anymore. Cereal, like I said, per pound, it's way more than beef. I don't know why he thinks it's cheap. It's not. But then the real cost comes in your health. And it's obvious that big pharma and big food are winning. I am absolutely shocked anymore. I I, I really pay attention to this. And throughout the day anymore, I, I even leave the TV on just to watch for this. The number of drug commercials is absolutely insane. And there are so many new drugs, it's hard to keep up. One of the problems in that industry, that this is bizarre. When I read this, I thought that can't be true, but it is. One of the problems in that industry, they can't figure out how to name drugs. You know, they always have these weird names, like words we've never heard before, Trilogy or Manjaro, or, uh, but they can't make up enough words to name all of these drugs and doctors get confused because too many of them sound alike. Our medical system is so screwed. Now the trend, I've talked about this, but I keep seeing it more and more. Many of the new drugs that are hitting the market right now are secondary drugs that you have to take because the first line drug didn't work. And the commercials all sound the same. Oh, take Add this drug onto your regiment and eight out of 10 people saw symptom relief. Well, you know what, though? You said that about the first drug. And now you're telling me that drug doesn't work on its own. We need to add this drug. Well, but you promised us all this stuff on the first drug. If it didn't work and now I need to add another drug, why should I believe you? And you shouldn't because these drugs really don't work. They do not make anybody healthy. In fact, it's the exact opposite. The more prescription drugs you take, the less healthier you're going to be. But we have it backwards. We think we're taking all these drugs because we're unhealthy. That's how it starts. It starts with a really poor diet. But once you start down that, that path of prescription medications, there's, there's no turning back unless you do it yourself. The doctors hardly ever take people off drugs. They just keep putting them on more and more drugs. Uh, let's see. I, I'm going to check the calls here real quick. See if I want to cover a couple more things. I think I will, and then I'll get to calls. Um, if any of you are canning, interested in canning, I have found for me what is the best setup I've had so far for canning. So I've got a, uh, an induction stove in my kitchen. And you can't really can with induction because the canners are aluminum and aluminum pots don't work on induction. Unless somebody were to make a canner with a, a base, you know, an iron base of some kind. I've never found one. Um, you can't use induction. Plus, most of the new glass tops and the inductions are all glass tops. They claim you shouldn't can on them, even if you can. You, you can crack them. I think I may have burned up one of my um, elements on my last induction stove. I had to replace it. 
Uh, so I wouldn't recommend canning on a glass top anyway. So if you have a gas stove at home, that's, that's good for canning. The problem I have is my canner is so big that that height is kind of awkward to work. It's not a good height to work at. Um, I've used, you know, portable propane burners and that kind of stuff. And they work okay, but again, it's kind of a height stability thing. I haven't found a really good setup until just recently. Uh, If you go to, I see these in almost every farm store I've been in, like Coastal or, um, well, all the other farm stores. It's made by Camp Chef, and it is a propane, it's a three-burner propane setup, really simple really clean and simple. Um, it's, it's got its own like legs and stand. It's the perfect height for canning. It's really stable. It's got three big propane burners on it. And that's really all it is. It's a frame, four legs, and the burners. It's really simple. And the legs come off in about 30 seconds, and it's really easy to move around and transport. Um, I haven't used it yet. Um, um, I need to do a bunch of canning. I just don't have time right now. Um, but it's a really, really nice setup. Um, like I said, the the best I've found so far. If you were really into canning, you could have three canners going all at once on this thing. But uh, nice setup. Joining me right now, the uh, CEO and owner of KBMO Diagnostics, James White. James, good morning. Hi, good morning. Nice to uh, nice to hear from you this morning. Great to have you here. You're you're clear on the other side of the country, aren't you? I am. I am. I am for my sins. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. Way over on that other coast. Uh, so great to have you here. Um, tell us about KBMO. Give give us the uh, the rundown, some history, what it's all about. Yeah, no, I'd love to. I'd love to, and and I'm sure as. Uh, this, this will be something that resonates with, with uh, a lot of your listeners as well. Um, yeah, we're a small company, uh, and the KBMO is it, we're a, 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 a healthcare diagnostics company. But the KBMO stands, stands for uh, K is for Catherine, my wife. B is Ben, my eldest son. M Max is my uh, middle son, and O. We always say we save the best to last. My daughter Olivia. So it's a KBMO <laughs> diagnostics. So, so that's uh, that's that's my bosses who I work for. So I'm sure you guys. Uh, who are self-employed out there will recognize that uh, we'll, we'll have people that, that, uh, that we have to look after or more importantly, uh, are, are answerable to. Well, I love that. And 30 seconds in, I've already learned something because I had no idea that's what it stood for. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> but when I wrote it down, I kind of figured it sounds pretty scientific. So it it's did. probably going to pass yeah. this test in I- terms of, uh, you know, linking it to some kind of healthcare business that I was involved in. So uh, it felt it felt like uh, it, it, was, it was a good link between you know, who, who I'm, who I spend my life working for. And uh, more importantly, um, it, it kind of sounds pretty scientific. I like that. I like that. So what's the company all about? And, and tell us how you so, got it so, started. I, I always love that yeah. too. Uh, yeah, a, no, well, a, so it was, um, we were founded back in 2004 by a guy called Dr. Brent Dorval, um, who's not in significant claim to fame. He invented the first rapid HIV diagnostic. Wow. And so he kind of, yeah, so he kind of moved sideways a bit and said, why don't I look at this kind of whole food sensitivity area? So he partnered with a doctor and, and um, they'd been getting on-ish, but not great. So apparently him and the doctor had fallen out a bit. And so they approached me and said, look, um, as sometimes is the case with brilliant scientists, they said, look, look, we filed this patent 
but we don't really, you know, we, we kind of, I, I don't really want to leave the lab too much. You know, I need someone to come and really sell the company or not the, the product that they developed. And the product that they started to develop and we've kind of enhanced over, over the last kind of 15, 20 years um, was a thing called a food sensitivity test. So to try and work out for the listeners there, which foods on an individualized basis cause you inflammation, which is pretty much the root cause of pretty much every disease state that, that any of us uh, end up with. Very interesting. So um, you've, let's, talk, let's stay right there and talk about that. So explain these food sensitivity tests to us. There's several out on the market. You know, we've played around with some. What, what, how are these working and why is yours so good? Because it is. But tell us okay. why. Um, yeah, so there's, there's, there's been tests out there for a while, and, and they look at um, you know, basically a number. Of, so what you'll typically see is you'll see you know, a 96 food panel or whatever, and, and that 96 foods is because the technology we all use to run the test on is a thing called an ELISA plate, and that has 96 wells in it. So um, that's generally how they came up with the, why, kind of the magic behind 96 foods. And what we've done is we said, look, let's not just look at foods, let's look at foods, colorings, and additives. Because as we kind of all move around our daily lives, we're not only, you know, we don't all have the time to kind of cook organic food from scratch. So we're eating processed foods. And in what you see in those processed foods is colorings and additives. So we thought, well, that would be a helpful way of, of making sure people in the kind of real world who are, as I say, aren't growing their own organic vegetables and aren't cooking from scratch, which is most of us aren't doing that. Let's look at something which is a bit more realistic in terms of to what we're doing. And so we thought, let's add those colorings and additives because, yeah, you can't avoid them. They're in everything. Um, they're in, and, and the way I always kind of talk about it is like a 3D world. So you'll find them in, like I said, processed foods, which we're all eating. You'll find them increasingly in supplementation. And uh. thirdly, you find them in personal hygiene products. So think, think of, you know, your... Your washing powders, your skin creams, you know, aftershaves, shampoos, things like that. So it's trying to make sure we capture those areas as well. So those are what we're measuring. And, and what, we, what, what you find differs this test from some of the others out there is, and it was best described to me from a, a wonderful uh, provider of ours in a place called Chagrin Falls, Ohio. So uh, if any of you guys uh, are driving through Ohio, that's my, Chagrin Falls is, is where this came from. My um, older brother lives said, in Chagrin Falls, Ohio. That is not, that's crazy, isn't it? What are the chances of that? <laughs> <laughs> yep, he lives, he's lived there for, boy, I remember helping him move into that house when I got out of the Army in 1985, so... Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> well, so again, yeah. at the center of, of all our universes, which is good to know. Yeah. So, but, so she said to me, she said, James, she said, what I love about this test, it measures the whole immune system, not half of it. And what she was trying to explain there is that there's a lot of tests out there, and if you kind of Google or, or look, look at any of these things, that measure a thing called IgG, which is basically a pathway which tells you which foods you're exposed to. So whatever Kevin had for breakfast, we can tell him this is what he had for breakfast, but Kevin probably already knows that, so that's not that very interesting. <laughs> what we came up with, and, and, and Dr. Brent came up with, was a way of saying, well, let, why are we stopping and just telling you what you're exposed to? Why don't we also look at um, the other half of your immune system, which they call the innate immune system, and find out which foods are actually causing you an inflammatory response? And so... That was the brilliance of Dr. Brent, was to say, look, let's look at what is causing you inflammation versus what you're exposed to. And 
the nice thing about, about, about looking at the whole immune system, it has a number of benefits. A, it's the whole immune system. Um, secondly, it's, it's that infl- inflammation. And we'll talk about some of the disease states which are linked to inflammation. But thirdly, the really cool thing is it helps really zero in on the key foods of interest. So sometimes you'll hear about these tests, but they're overwhelming for a, for a patient or because it, you come up with like 20 or 30 foods. Yeah. And the reality is no, none of us are going to take out 30 foods from our diet. So the idea with this is this secondary screen of looking at the second half of your immune system gives you a way of really zeroing in and a handful of food. So generally with this test, which I think is really helpful for patients and providers, is it'll only come up with five or 10 foods. So it really zeroes in on the key foods of interest. And I think that's a really dramatic difference in terms of not only the whole immune system element, but trying to give you as a patient an opportunity to be compliant. You know, that's important. I've watched um, other practitioners, I've worked with people, and I've seen some of these reports. Because when we take in a new client, I do a lot of health coaching. You know, we want want to know what they've already been through. So many times they'll bring us these tests that they've already had done. And I've seen some of these tests, like you said, they're just overwhelming. I mean, they put so many foods on there, and you're like, you got to be kidding. Um, I want to go back to something. because again, you, you, why did we partner with you? Why is this test better? We just talked about one reason. You brought up the idea that you're not just testing foods, you're testing anything that could end up in our food, which isn't food, yeah. but we call it food and we still eat it. Um, are, um, I would think you're familiar with the term gra- grass, grass, G-R-A-S, right? When it comes to additives in our, our food. And, yeah. Isn't this insane? I don't think people understand this. You know, we we have this FDA that takes, you know, billions or trillions of our tax dollars and it's supposed to keep us safe from bad food and drugs and all kinds of things. And yet the way that they approve, we would assume, I always assumed that if they're putting something in our food, somebody somewhere has tested that on humans short and long term to make sure it's actually safe and it's not harming us but that's not how our system yeah. works or see it's fact well, it's almost I mean, it's the opposite it, yeah i mean it's when i when i first got in involved in this yeah you know, i said why are we looking at some of these colorings and dyes and to your point it's like that they're, they're here and and yeah the, the best one is is the red dye we test for is you know you'll see it in lots of different foods but you know, the, the, the shocking fact about that is it was invented by Bayer Pharmaceuticals after World War II to color plastic. So when you look at the kind of molecular makeup of the thing, it's, it's horrific. And that, you know, here we are with all that progress from, from uh, of 60 or 70 years on. We're now putting it in our food system. So to your point, it's kind of slightly frightening when you hear that stuff. And then the other, the other good one we heard was there was a, um, there's a filler that they're using in, uh, in a uh, in, in a well-known um, sandwich store, the second part of it is whey. I won't tell you what the first part is, but you guys can work that out. Um, that filler is um, is FDA cleared. Um, it's banned in Europe, and even better in Asia, they make yoga mats out of it. So it's really fascinating to see. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know, the... what, where we've ended up. So to this, here's how the system works. G-R-A-S, generally recognized as safe. And what that really means is if somebody wants to put something into our food supply, all they have to kind of show is that nobody has ever proven it would harm us. 
but nobody has proven <laughs> it won't harm us either. But as long as yeah. they can say, look, nobody, we've asked a bunch of scientists and, and nobody seems to think that this is a problem. That's how they yeah. do this. That is insanity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I think, but the other interesting thing, that, uh, uh, as we were talking about in terms of the 3D world, in terms of, you know, it's important to think, you know, when we think about it, it's, it is what we're eating but it's supplementation as well. I mean, there's calories and additives and things like that in those. But then, you know, if you think about, you know, which barriers you're thinking about, you know, you're thinking about, well, is it just, you know, what I'm eating with a knife and fork? Yeah, that third barrier is your skin. And so it's important to think of things like washing powders, shampoos. I mean, we've had examples where, you know, we've had patients, one I can think of, there's a, a, a nine-year-old boy who was very lethargic. They ran the food sensitivity test and he came up with benzoic acid. Which again, you kind of kind of consume. No one's no one's going to be uh, you know, knowingly eating something called benzo. <laughs> right. But it it happened to be in his in his mum's washing powder and his shampoo. When the provider took that out, then what we saw is within uh, you know four to six weeks, he returned back to his normal self. So the, all the lethargy was gone. And he was back to a you know, annoying eight to ten year old boy bouncing off the walls. So right. yeah, the, the good news was yeah, but that's why I think it's important to think about these things. Not only what you might be consuming, you know, three times a day, but it's some of these other areas that we don't always naturally think of. And the reason I give that example is, you know, lots of people will say, well, you know, I've heard from a provider that I should do an elimination diet. That's the way forward. Um, I think we can probably all agree that there's no such um, elimination diet that says, well, let's start by taking little Johnny off his benzoic acid. Right. So that's why it's important to look at these colorings and additives and think of, you know, where people are kind of coming across them in their, in their daily lives. That that's a great point, and we've worked on that here. You know, we we started helping people with health almost ten years ago, and our primary focus for a lot of years was food, 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 and we really yep. helped people clean up their diet. And one of the ways we did that is we've used your test almost from day one. I mean, this we've been yep. we've been partnered with you for a long time. And yep. then we started to realize it's not just food like you were talking about. It, it's all of these personal care products. It's our environment. It's all kinds of things we are exposed to that my open today was about, you know, the way to be truly healthy is if we could go back and live in the woods like we did as hunter gatherers. I mean, that's probably not going to happen. Uh, but even then, even today, you would not be as healthy as those hunter gatherers were because we've contaminated almost the entire planet. Yeah. You, you yep. can't get that's away from, from some of these yeah. things. So we have to work as hard as we can to minimize them. I mean, we've brought in lines of yep. soap that, you know, you look at a typical bar of soap and the ingredient list looks like a very complicated chemical experiment. And yet we yeah. bring in soap exactly. that only has four ingredients and they're all real and you, can, you, you know what they are. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. And to, well, to oral health products. That's amazing, but it's, you know, it's so rare. It, it is. <laughs> and I, I talked about that today, too, that, you know, we're, we're seeing this divide among people. You know, I make an analogy. We always talk about the rich and the poor and the middle class is disappearing and the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And it's true. I mean, you can watch it. Why it happens. Um, I have my opinions, but I, I'm seeing something different now. I'm seeing a split with people on health. 
people who are yeah. adopting paleo and carnivore and keto type diets that that are much more real food and not a lot of processed food they're getting healthier people that are doing these kinds of tests and then eliminating these problem foods and additives and colorings and dyes they're getting healthier and there's a big difference in the health and and on the other hand we watch people being put on more and more prescription drugs and they just get yeah. sicker and sicker yeah i mean as you say that the the the, the whole you know misnomer of you know like you, you, you describe grass and then you know you'll hear with all these adverts going on you know side effects may include i mean it, it's horrific yeah. <laughs> you know it's not yeah. it's not right. may it will so yeah. it's kind of it's 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 frightening what people are going on and then you know that's aside from you know no one's really looked at them from an interaction standpoint so it's fine if you're on this one but if you're unfortunately generally if you're on one you're on you know, they, they, they seem to do it in in, uh, in groups of six, don't they? Well, you're on this one, you're going to be on these five or six others at the same time. <laughs> but have right. we actually studied the interaction between those six? No, never. Uh, probably not. But no, that's, yeah, never. That's a, that's, a, that's a discussion for another program, I'm sure. But yeah. So that's some of the issues that you have, isn't it, in terms of, you know, when you talk about these drugs. Yeah, or like you said, a big part of our food supply is almost as toxic as some of these drugs we're taking because we ate the food supply to begin with. It's such a vicious circle. Uh, if we yeah. wouldn't eat all this non-food, we, we wouldn't get sick, then we wouldn't need the toxic drugs. But and that was my open yeah. today, that the pharmaceutical industry is just totally out of control anymore. I, I am shocked yeah. at the well, number well, I mean, of new and, drugs. And again, I mean, you, you, hit, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, the, the fact that someone, that a, that a food company will actually be proud to tell you that it's non-GMO. I mean, it's like, <laughs> what do you mean? Is it all? Yeah, so it, it's that's kind of unfortunately the level we sunk to. There's like, well, oh, so it wasn't it, kind of invented in a in a you know in a science in a science lab, and yeah, you know, I should be thrilled that I'm eating it. Yet no one's really no one's part. It's maybe just about scraped over the over the GRAS test. So yeah, yeah or or this whole idea of organics. You know, we yeah. people who are concerned about our health, we push this idea of organic food. And we're willing yeah. to pay a lot more money for it. We're willing to go out of our way to find it. And yet, it was just like 100 years ago, all food was organic. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. This whole organic thing where, is you know, they, so they new. Up, they sat in you know, Wall Street or wherever and said, look, this is really cool. Why don't we call it organic? Right. <laughs> we're going to call it non-GMO. It's like, well, I think that's basically the lowest bar. Yeah, now yeah. we're not even climbing over that. Wow. So, yeah. yeah it, it is fascinating. Yeah. So let's go back to the food testing or the, the testing in general. Uh, a big part of this is food. I, I'm curious about this. I don't know how many different ways you guys track, you know, results of tests, but is there like the worst food? Have you identified the, the one food that comes up more often than any other? Well, it's interesting that the, the three big ones that we kind of see on a more routine basis are wheat, eggs, and milk. So those, I would say, are the, are the big three in terms of, you know. So but again, it's, it's very difficult to say to someone, well, eliminate those three, because if you don't need to, then don't. And so, you know, it, 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 it's fascinating for us to see, you know, how it varies from, from client to client. You know, let, let's think about that for a second. So wheat, for me, we, we are big proponents of grain-free eating. 
here. Grains are not human food. Um, it, it was, if you look historically how that occurred, um, we primarily ate animals for the most part. And then we sure. overhunted animals in many places. Humans were so successful that our population kept growing and, you know, we would have enough density in an area that you would run out of animals to eat. And we started eating grains. And you can look at the, the history of what happened. It was about 10,000 years ago or so. Lots of physical changes started to happen in humans. So from my point of view, grains are just not human food and we shouldn't eat them at all. But they're not not made in a factory. I mean, it is a a natural, it grows in the ground. It's a natural food. Now, now we have corrupted it horribly. Even if it's not GMO, it's been hybridized in ways that aren't good for our health. It's just good for their profit. So it's interesting, though, that... As as I'm sure you know, the gluten from, you know, 500 years ago, you know, when they planted wheat, it was two or three percent of, of, of the plant. Right. Now it's 20 plus percent. Because yeah. You say, so I think that's it's it's as ever, as you say, it's when it's the manipulation of, of some of these natural organic products, which have caused these side effects, which, again, you know, um, haven't weren't properly studied. They, you know, there was just an assumption that this would all be good. Because to your point, it was uh, you know, it was to the almighty dollar versus actually you know the people, everyone's health. Yeah, we we don't spend all this money to manipulate food to make it healthier ever. Yeah, it, all the money yeah. is spent to make it cheaper to produce, ship, store. Yeah. It's all about profit. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's it's interesting. But what is really as well is you know when we first started working with you guys ten years ago. We were just looking at these kind of foods, colorings, and additives, and we, we had a look at that as well. One of the things that we found, you know, back then, um, and I was kind of kind of walking the streets of, of uh, different different states around the U.S. was, you know, people found it really interesting to look at um, the foods and, and the diet, and people really loved the test. One of the other kind of key benefits of this test is it's it's um, it's the only patented test, and it's available through you know good providers like yourself. Because, again, we want patients to really understand it. I think one of the other nice things about these areas, it's not judgmental. So it's not one of these things where, you know, you go to the doctor, your cholesterol's through the roof, and you think, oh, God, is someone else going to bash me over the head? Just wanted to kind of like you're taking advantage of working out, you know, what is it for me as an individual that I can actually work on to kind of help my health? And as we talked about, the kind of egg milks or wheat, you know. If it's any one of those, if I take that out and I start feeling better, I bring down my levels of inflammation, then that's a good thing for me. And so when we were kind of, you know, wandering the streets 10, 15 years ago, that was the big drive in terms of those areas. And then really what we came across is we also had had a subset of providers who said, James, love this test, love its patented, love these multiple pathways to kind of chagrin falls line again about it's the whole immune system, not half of it. But what they also said is, some of us, they said that we don't test patient, all of our patients because we think some of them have got leaky gut. So it was this kind of se- sentiment that they would kind of guess we think they've got leaky gut versus test. And in their defense back then, they didn't have any good tools to work out. Do they have, does this patient have leaky gut? Right. Just inflamed based on the diet that, that, that well, they were looking at. And let's also go back at that time 10 years ago the vast majority of traditionally trained doctors, if not all of them, actually laughed and said leaky gut isn't a thing. 
They, the, the, the yeah. medical system 10 years ago did not recognize that leaky gut even existed, and now they do. Yeah. I mean, not across the board. Yeah. You will still find a lot of doctors that if you start talking about leaky gut, you're going to get a deer in the headlights look. But that's how bad it was yeah. just 10 years ago. The, the medical system yeah. wouldn't even acknowledge that this was a thing. Yeah. And, and, and so one of the, to your point, it was, you know, and, and one of the other things, we had, it, 10 years ago as well, which was fascinating to us, is that we did a clinical study um, and it was just a kind of forward, you know, a, a look back study where we took, I think there's 40 patients in it at the time and we tested them on day one and then we reviewed them or tested them again kind of about 10 months later. And we saw that the main um, symptoms that we were improving was obviously skin, gut related, all those things. But the leading ones were things like anxiety, mood swings, wow. depression. Yeah. So again, 10 years ago, you know, we were like, wow, isn't that amazing? There's a link between brain health and gut health. Yeah. But again, to your point, if we'd been brave enough to say that 10 years ago, they'd have probably kind of carried us out in kind of a, in a straitjacket or something. But well, today, let me, the great news is people go, huh, what a thought. There let, is this really strong link and correlation between gut health and brain health. And so what I've seen in that 10 years is the types of providers that we worked with is has almost kind of gone 360. So it used to be the people looking at the gut and going, huh, maybe that's having an impact on your brain. We've got neurologists now running the right. test routinely and now looking at, huh, I need to make sure the gut's okay to make sure the brain and all those symptoms that I talked about earlier are in line as well. So again, back to what's, wow, what, how come food is that important? Well, if you think about it and, and all your listeners there, if you put the wrong oil in your engine, you know what's going to happen. And <laughs> yes. so this is the same thing with this test as well. So, We're trying to work out which is the right oil, as it were, to, to make sure our engine, our body, works as effectively and efficiently as possible. You know, it's really kind of uh, crazy or ironic about this. You're right. In the last 10 years, we've worked this out. We've got more and more people that agree with this. We've helped a lot of people with this knowledge. But in reality... Didn't Hippocrates know this several thousand years ago? Yeah. yeah I mean, did, yeah, did, didn't yeah. we instinctively know this somehow as human beings, even though we didn't have all the scientific tests, we couldn't, you know, point to a number on a test and say, oh, look here. But but they knew they knew. How did we become so ignorant? I, I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, I think it was Socrates who said back, as you said, thousands of years ago, all disease starts in the gut. Right. And then, yeah, right. it's been, you know, so it's, that's not, that's not a revolutionary statement. Um, but again, we've, as, as is maybe the human desire, we, we, we go so far away from what we know in terms of the truth that, it, you know, we need to be, you know, it's that thing. It's a pendulum, isn't it? Yeah. So we swing so far away yeah. from it. Hopefully, hopefully in the last 10 years, we're seeing some level of people going, huh. I better look after my own health because I recognize that if I leave it to a third party, an insurance company, the state, that's probably not the way forward. So exactly. I think we're seeing more, certainly in our business and, and with great providers like yourself kind of springing up going, look, let's help people look at their diet and their food and see if on an individualized basis, on the basis that, you know, I always joke, the fact that people even call it the food pyramid shows how much we haven't progressed in terms of our knowledge of food here in the U.S. and internationally. Um, if it's, <laughs> a pyramid was pretty helpful back then, but not, not oh. been very useful for a few thousand years now. So right. why are we still talking about a food pyramid? Why are we talking about individualized care based off this kind of testing and all the knowledge 
great providers like yourself, Kevin, have out there in terms of working with their patient populations. Yeah. So, so we've been talking about the food sensitivity test, and that's where a lot of this started. Um, you've also progressed into these kind of tests now that can tell us directly about leaky gut, right, and, and the gut barrier itself. Right. Yeah, and it was one of those interesting things because, as I say, as we as we were talking to you know great providers like yourself, Kevin, and others, yeah, you know, they were saying we we think these patients have leaky gut, but as I mentioned, you know, there wasn't really the testing out there right. or the robustness to kind of work out is that really happening or not. And so we initially came up with a a test for for a, um, a you know a, a marker called zonulin, and zonulin was a really in, interesting one. It'd been developed in early 2000 by a gentleman called Alessio Fisano, and he discovered, back to your point about grains, the links between leaky gut and celiac disease. And so that was really the the precursor for everything to do with zonulin. Had some great um, articles published in in you know various esteemed journals, things like the Lancet, talking about it. Um, but there wasn't really any good diagnostics to really help diagnose that in an effective way and there was there was talk should it be a stool test should it be a blood test and again one of the fortunate things about being in boston is uh, dr alessio design happened to be based here so we managed to have some time with him and he's been very generous for this time to tell us you know what were some of the issues that we needed to come up with or solve if we were going to develop a test around something like zonulin and zonulin basically tells you how well the tight junctions in your in your gut lining work. So is the food flowing in and out in an effective manner? And so Zona is really almost looking at the function of those tight junctions. And so it's a really important marker to kind of work that out. And so he gave us, look, you need to fix these four or five problems. And I won't bore everyone with what they were, but we went out about and did that. And that was, again, one of the great things about having our very own Dr. Brent Dorval on staff. You know, he developed the the first HIV diagnostic. So again, he was really good at helping work through some of those problems that we did to make sure that the test could be robust, reliable, reproducible. And you know, what Fasano told us was, look, all my seminal research has been done in blood, so that's why I believe you should do a blood test, not a stool test. So that's why we came up with a blood test as well. But again, rather than just stopping there, the feedback from you know providers was, we love zonulin, but you know, we'd really like to see it as a panel because, again, like all these things, they're nuanced, they're complicated. It's not just one marker that's going to help right. solve this. And so we came up with this panel looking at four different markers. So one of them is a thing called Candida, which in essence is, we use as a kind of canary in the coal mine, some indication of some early stage level of dysbiosis. So something might be going on. And so Candida is a great kind of like level one indicator of that. And then what we wanted to look at was the zonulin, which we discovered or, or developed rather, which is looking at, you know, how do you look at these tight junctions in terms of how well they're functioning? And then there was another marker out there called occludin, which looks at the structure of those tight junctions. So are they still tight together or they've begun to kind of come apart? And then the fourth one that we added really only literally 12 months ago was a thing called LPS, lipopolysaccharides, um, which a, a good friend of mine, a gentleman called Dr. Um, Rob Silverman, his nickname El Diablo. So if, if, if that one pops up, then we've got to have a look at that <laughs> in a bit more <laughs> the serious nature. Yeah. Um, so again, that's, that panel was something that would give a provider a really good kind of screen to say, ha, huh, this patient's got leaky gut, or as importantly, they don't have leaky gut, so we can keep moving in terms of treating the inflammation that these this kind of handful of foods that we talked about before are elevated on each of the patients. 
And with, with that gut barrier panel, we looked at it in two ways. We said the thing called IGA, which is another pathway, which is indicative of is it, is, a, you know, is it localized in the gut still an early stage? Or if it gets the IgG and the complement, which is what we, our path to test looks at, it generally means it's more systemic and it's been going on for a longer time period. So it gives the patient and the provider and the report comes back green or red. So green negative, red positive. So again, we need to do something about it. And as you know, Kim, there's some great supplement companies out there. We're not one of them. We're a diagnostic lab. So what right. we did was we were very fortunate to partner with the likes of Biotics, um, who I know you guys have got a close relationship with, yes. Neutrodyne, another good one, and who came up with these protocols which have enabled us to, when the doctor gets a report back that says, oh, look, there's something going on here, they've come up with these great um, supplement protocols which helps not only the provider but also the patient to go, okay, Great. If any of these are elevated, they're going to put me on a supplement protocol now, which will help heal the gut, and that's the key. And again, as we talked about, you know, from from uh, from that guy Socrates, who everyone kind of uh, somewhat familiar with, you know, all disease begins in the gut. So again, and then that was coined by Fasano as all disease starts in the leaky gut. So <laughs> the idea is, if you can help cure the leaky gut, then you're onto something in terms of helping looking. Yeah, you know, overall health of patients. So our thought was rather than just look at inflammation, which is obviously the underpinning of many um, disease states, if we could look at immune health as well via the gut, then that would be a really helpful thing to do, not only from the perspective of, of all disease, but, you know, we talked about the links between he healthy brains, healthy guts. So all those things begin to start coming into kind of, you know, into there's just many, many overlaps between those two two different areas about immune health and inflammation, all back, tied back to you know, what you originally started out talking about, food and the health and the quality of the food that you're consuming. You know, we, you talked about inflammation. We, we use that a lot. And now you're also talking about the immune system as, you know, we're, we're looking for these reactive foods because it affects the immune system, leaky gut affects the immune system isn't one of the biggest dangers of of leaky gut triggering autoimmune conditions isn't that what we're really concerned about i i think there's definitely a, a play in that and then again that's another one of those areas which it's it's not straightforward it's nuanced and again if you can look at a test that's looking at that immune health as well as inflammation because again all those autoimmune disease states are various elements of inflammatory right. response so if you can help reduce that via the diet if you can understand as a provider that there's some kind of leaky gut going on help heal the gut then it, i think it's that that kind of bi-directional approach of looking at the inflammation as well as then moving on to the immune system i think is really beneficial for those kind of patients now we will always tell you we're not going to cure someone who's got an autoimmune disease but like any of these disease states if you, on an individualized basis, can help reduce the causes of inflammation that they weren't even aware of, then that should have a beneficial impact on any of those disease states. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think back, I'm, I'm 60, so I grew up in the 60s, 70s, that kind of time, and um, a, a lot of these health issues, food issues, diet, the, the advice from the government has all happened kind of during my lifetime. Really, the first time yeah. the government kind of got involved in this was in the 50s, so just a little before my time. But, but I think back, I wish I could remember the first time in my life I even heard the term autoimmune disease 
because I know growing yeah. up, I never heard it, and I didn't know anybody that, well, I guess I did. My, um, there were some around then, arthritis, uh, some forms of arthritis or autoimmune, but we never heard the term autoimmune. I, the last time I looked, that we now have linked over 100 different conditions to autoimmune issues. Yeah. That's insane. What happened? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, it, it's, um, there's, a, there's a desire to get things labeled pretty sharply here, aren't there? So I think it's one of those things where, yeah, there's lots of these different things have come up. But again, is it you know, the underlying root causes of these, I think, are all pretty similar, aren't they? Yeah. If your body is inflamed, it's going to show these symptoms in many kind of varying ways. And again, it's back to, you know, the oil in that engine again. It's like if, you, if you're using the wrong oil and you're constantly stressing it, then I guess that's now this, you know, as you say, litany of, of lists of, of different autoimmune diseases. But fundamentally, you know, all, if we're if we if we're if we're if we're using the wrong types of oil and we're not you know doing the kind of standard you know exercising sleeping and, and nutrition well then i think these things are blowing up in in, in ever increasing uh, ways and obviously the environment that we talked about you know we're you know with all the different foods and the quality of foods that we talked about non-gmo and all that kind of stuff i think that's having an impact which again was was not even considered when any of these things came in, and it's back to you know that initial you know that, that, the four letters that you started with, I and mean, that's yeah. the issue. You know, we don't think it's going to have any harm. Well, turns out that you know we didn't have these hundreds hundreds of years ago. We had a pretty good idea of what 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 worked, and we've managed to come up with all these ways that, that didn't work quite so effectively, and now we've got all these different disease states which we've named after them. Yeah. Oh. Kind of crazy. So one of the things I, I want to talk about, we, you know, we, we got into this kind of almost by demand. Our, you know, we use, we've always worked with truck drivers. That's been my business for as long as I can remember. It's all, been in the trucking industry forever. I, that is so far away from health and nutrition, but it was truck drivers were like the canary in the coal mine. I mean, if you study yeah. the health of truck drivers in our country, it, it, the incidence of diabetes is double. And the general population, the incidence of diabetes is horrendous. And yet truck drivers are even worse. Uh, obesity is, is far worse in the industry. It's, it's, a, it's a job and a career and a business that is difficult when it comes to food. Now, we, we have changed that dramatically. I mean, we've helped people figure out that you can absolutely be a truck driver and figure out how to eat healthy, and it's not even that difficult. You know, once we worked on yep. it and we help people pressure can meat, we help them ferment vegetables, then they can take those things on the truck without refrigeration. They can control their yep. own food supply much better. And then we kept getting deeper and deeper into this practitioner world, and we started down the road of a, of a lot of testing. There's a lot of different yep. tests out there you can do. You can do Dutch tests and hormone tests and mineral balance. Yep. And uh, you could go on and on and on. And it can get pretty darn expensive. And insurance yep. almost never covers these kinds of tests, which also makes me crazy. They'll cover anything yep. a traditional doctor wants to do, which just seems to keep people sick. But when we have a system that actually works to get people healthy, insurance won't pay for any of it. I, I, I don't understand how that whole system works. But so we decided, uh, really it was a year or two ago, that 
we work with other practitioners as well and we work with other companies biotics is a big partner of ours and um dr wolfson who's also a biotics partner we work pretty closely with him and i started to realize we are probably better off as a company and what we do sticking with the the real basics helping people get that diet turned around um helping them clean up you know their lifestyle and all the chemicals and those kind of things and not really go down this road of a lot of testing i mean that that's almost that that would have transformed our company there's a lot of education there's a lot to keep up with there we decided we want to be kind of the first line of defense and then if we identify somebody who needs some of that testing we're going to hand them off to somebody that's really good at that but the the tests that we did keep about the only test that we do now here still directly, just like we always have are yours because they're inexpensive and powerful and we've been using them long enough. Now we really understand them, but that's about the only testing we do in our practice anymore. It's just yours. Anybody else? We, we send them off to the next level. It, it, it's fascinating to me. I mean, you know, I've, I've had a long career doing this and, and you know, I, I looked at molecular testing. I've done, blood gas analyzer test, all sorts of different tests. The, the, the thing I loved about this one, and, and I guess the reason why I've been doing it as long as I have, is it's, as I mentioned to you up front, it's non-judgmental, it's color-coded intentionally to make sure it's easy for right. a patient to understand. So again, right. it's not 70 pages of, of, of gobbledygook in terms of the, you know showing how smart we are and how brilliant Brent is. It's about how do we make it simple and usable and user-friendly for the patient and the provider. And so that's one of the things we kind of try to pride ourselves on is we want to make it easy because we want it to be actionable. We don't want this to be, you know, you know confusing right. and difficult for patients to kind of follow. And so I think that's one of the things that we really try to pride ourselves on. And for most patients, the nice thing about it is we all understand what these foods are. So... When it says let's, it's four plus and it's and it's it's red, kind of going, rawr, rawr, uh, that probably means I need to take that out. And it's not like, well, I, geez, I need a PhD to tell me about that one. It's it's you know intentionally, how do we make it so any patient you know can look at this and go, ah, now I understand. I got a handful of foods to take out. And then one of the things we obviously try to do is put then those meal plans in place. So again, patients have got an ability to take control of their own health journey, whatever that might be, by giving them the tools to do that. And so we've, as a business, have tried to kind of invest in kind of compliance tools. So the meal plan, the patient app, to make it as simple as possible. And to your point, we've only tried to kind of grow into areas where we think are tangential to that in terms of the simplicity. And so that was the gut barrier panel that we right. had in terms of as you rightly point out, around leaky gut. And then the only other one that we looked at was cardiovascular health. Because again, if you think about you being the first line of defense, I think if you can think of their diet in terms of nutrition and what might be causing inflammation, their immune health, again, you know, it's only taking us a pandemic for us all to recognize the importance of it, but we got there. Uh, immune health is another important one and that we all have to take care of. We can't hand that off to a third party to look after for us. And then the third one is cardiovascular health. And, and that was another one that we came to. And we, were, we were staggered at how poor the quality of testing was because a bit like with the food sensitivity, everyone does an IgG test and comes up with everyone, everything they can eat, which is, well, that's not really very helpful. When, 
you, you look at, at the standard lipid panel, which, you know, is done routinely in physicians' offices up and down the country in the U.S. All it, ta- you know, the staggering factor on that one is 50% of patients who have a heart attack, the standard lipid profile is normal on the day of heart attack. Yeah. So that tells you that that is just a waste of time. Right. So we thought, well, why don't we come up with something that can help and improve in that area as well? And so that's when we launched our cardiovascular inflammation test which is another finger stick. So again, one of the things we try to pry ourselves on is let's make it so that the patient can do this at home. They can send the results in and then they can speak with their providers. You know, your, your crew are a perfect example. They're busy. They don't have time to pull over and go and see a doctor right. at every, pla- every stop they go. And, and then get so sent to another lab sometimes. Really helps. Yeah. Say that again. And, and then sometimes get sent to another lab. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, I just need to be seen and keep moving. Or, yeah, they can speak to us. Can we go, well, that's cool. I'm just going to send it to you. And then they can do it. They send the results, the, the sample back into us. And then, you know, you've got some actionable advice that can then be kind of gone through over the phone. And so I think, you know, if the pandemic has helped in anything, it's that. But now it's much more accessible and attainable for p- patients to deal remotely with their providers in a frankly, in a really efficient and effective way that means that they can take control of their own health and it's preventative, which I think is what we all want to do. We all want to live long and healthy lives. We don't all want to be at the point that, you know, we all get to, you know, 60, 50, 60, and we can't move. And we want to be able to have, you know, we've all spent 50 years working. Uh, the retirement was hopefully something we go and enjoy, not That's the, right. uh, oh, my gosh, I'm in and out of doctors all the time. That's right. Uh, you know, I could talk with you all day long about this kind of stuff. I, I, I love this. I, there is one thing. Uh, oh, and, and one, I, I, we got to talk to you more about that, that cardiovascular test. That is something we should be doing here. Because, um, yeah, again, we, that, that's, we can jump on another time and do that. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. One of the things I want to go back and kind of get your, your thoughts on, because I, I, I'm not real clear on this. So it's interesting to me that the three big offenders, wheat doesn't surprise me. Like I said, I, I just don't think that that should be human food at all. Um, the next one is a little controversial when it comes to, you know, if we believe that we should eat like hunter-gatherers, paleo kind of thing. Um, technically, dairy wouldn't be a human food. You know, I make the comment all the time that as hunter-gatherers, we did not chase down animals and pull on their tits to get milk. That just didn't exist. We didn't do that. So, But we also know that the right forms of dairy do seem to help people be healthier. There, there's some pretty yeah. solid studies out there that if you are, you know, they looked more at cultures, not individuals, but cultures that yeah. had a strong fermented dairy, yogurt, and, and, you know, sour cream, things like that seem to be even more beneficial. So we've kind of taken that stance that uh, look, dairy's this weird food group that wasn't really human food, but does it's natural. It does seem to be uh, beneficial health-wise. Um, the problem with it, in my opinion, is the what we've done to it. If we look at, I think I think you hit it on the head there, isn't it? It's raw like it's, milk. What you're describing is is raw. Right. All these things where you know no, nothing has been done to them. But as you say, I mean, what an industry for, for a process. Oh. Yeah, the, the, yeah, milk is, oh, wow. Uh, you know, 
I think it's, um, I was reading somewhere that I think it's, na- it's the legal amount. I think there's a certain amount of, and I hate to kind of say this on, on, on the air, but pus yes. is allowed within milk. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, it's, it's awful. <laughs> it's just awful. So I, I think, right. you know, you, you are, as ever, bang on the money where it's, the reality is what the dairy is, is not really dairy. It's been processed to such degree and a bit like the four, not the four letters you said earlier, you know, like, you know, what, what we've allowed people to accept as, as a standard product for dairy now is, is probably so far away from what it initially was is, you know, it is, it's, 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 we should probably change the name from it from dairy as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. It, you know, if we, it, it, it's right from the beginning, what is that cow eating? And we know in, yep. in big dairy operations, they're eating any cheap stuff they can find to throw in there. I mean, it's just awful yeah. what they do. That's yeah. the beginning. Then we homogenize that milk, which doesn't sound like any big deal, and it makes it a lot more convenient. It's not separating all the time, but homogenizing milk damages the proteins and the fats. Then we're these animals have been raised so poorly and there there's such lousy standards here that that milk is probably contaminated so we better pasteurize it to make it safe but i i just read just this morning really good article from uh dr mercola on on now we have ultra pasteurized which is using crazy high temperatures to pasteurize dairy products because they can do it in a much shorter period of time now. So it's all about money again. It's, it's time in processing. They're using these crazy high temperatures. And we're turning a natural, what could be a healthy product, into a very damaging product. And the average consumer doesn't see the difference. Yeah, I mean, it's, and, and I think, you know, so that's the thing when we talk about dairy or, you know, any of these things, it's, you know, the, it's it's the processing of it before it actually, yeah. the patient, you know, any of us are consuming it is probably where all the damage is going. So it's it's probably, un, I think gluten is a, and, and wheat is a, is a fair target. I think with dairy, to your point, depending on where you are in that process chain, um, it's probably okay, but again, the, now, the reality is most of us as consumers, it's gone through so many processes before we even get close to it. Now, let's go to the, the one that really kind of baffles me, because I, I think we've explained wheat shouldn't even be in our diet at all. If dairy's going to be in your diet, you got to really, really understand the quality and the processing, and then it can be a healthful part of a diet. I'm confused about eggs. Eggs are almost yeah, like I mean, nature's I, perfect food. And we did eat them as yeah. hunter-gatherers. And all, every, just about every animal out in the, the wild will try to get eggs. Um, and it looks yeah. like this perfect food. What's happened? Why has this become such a reactive food for humans? I, I mean, it's a great question. And, and, and I think there needs to be a lot more work done on it. But I think one of the things I would probably point to is, is the fact that, you know, that the, the whole concept that there is one soup one one size fits all and so i think you know that's the beauty of it of doing these types of tests what you would assume is the perfect food may not be for for kevin but is for james and yeah. so i think it's that's where this testing really helps because you can say you know i think i'm eating really well according to the you know the food pyramid um but the reality is as an individual you know, and I think that's where we've really stepped up in our knowledge, the fact that, you know, as individuals, we're all different. So 
that's a wonderful thing and and that's where some of this testing really helps get into yeah. that some of that real granularity of saying okay you know for kevin eggs isn't it but he's going to live a great life by not eating those or at least having that knowledge of, and the power of that knowledge to say okay great as an individual this is what i should be doing to make sure i can tailor my decisions accordingly so I have a theory on this, and I, I understand bio-individuality, and there was a time where we made a bigger deal out of that. I, I think we're, we're kind of heading in the other direction now that, yeah, we're all different in a sense, but I don't think it's genetic. I, I think it's more of lifestyle and history and even generational yeah. history. I, I don't believe – here's one of the things I'd love to see explored – is when eggs are showing up as being reactive to somebody, can we figure out why? Is there some condition the human has that causes this? Or could we also dig into enough data, and I don't know if it's out there, um, are these people who are reacting to eggs eating very conventionally? I mean, we know how eggs are grown today, and it is awful. Three million chickens in one barn. Um, and being fed stuff that is never should never be a part of their diet. Is that part yep. of the problem? Would we see less of this reactivity if everybody was eating eggs out of their own backyard? Yeah, I mean, that, that, I think, as you say, it's it's back to the source of how right. it's being grown and, and, and back to the economics of it versus the health of it. And then I think the other the other thing that we probably haven't touched on is just the quantity that is consumed, or you, know, you think you're having eggs, but actually you know the, the you know egg mix or egg whatever oh, yeah. it is that you're consuming is well, is you know the, the the additional goodies and baddies that they put into those things that may be actually part of the it, cause, not just actually you know the as you say the, the the three the three chickens that we have in the barn that we go out and collect to, you know seasonally. Um, it's the fact the quantity, the quality um, is having an impact. And then to your point, the environment, the kind of stresses and strains that everyone, um, you know, some of those additional things that are going in with the eggs are, you know, triggering it. So, again, it may be that we're unfairly picking on the egg, but it's, yeah. you know, it's all those it, factors that are, that, are, that are causing it. Well, you know, one of the things that absolutely shocked me when I learned this, um, you know, let's say you you're going to go out to breakfast and a lot of people eat breakfast out and, and you, you want to eat just real food. So you're going to order an omelet and maybe it's got some meat in it. What I didn't realize was how many breakfast restaurants were actually adding some of their pancake batter to their omelets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Who thinks well, when like- you're ordering eggs, you're getting wheat. Yeah. Well, it, well, and then the other one is, you know, the num the number of, uh, of, of meat companies that are putting gluten in the processed meat. Oh yeah. So again, because it's a cheap filler. So right. again, you know, <laughs> that's why it's you know it's great to go out for breakfast, but it's it's uh, you know as you say, you're never really quite sure what's going into it, and yeah. all the quality of that product, given you know costs are rising, and so they're not always going. Well, that's okay. We you know for us, it's important that our clients have the best quality product. You know, they've they've got to keep their door open, haven't they? So it's it's sometimes some of that element creeps in as well yeah hey james i know we've got to let you get on with your day can uh, can we take a call i've got somebody with a question about food yeah, sensitivity tests all right let's do that let's go to lovely. south carolina terrence welcome how's it going kevin no i just want to comment on i took one uh 
shoot, I don't know, six, seven years ago. And uh, I, I, don't know, I, I, was, I had born with club feet, and uh, had, I could barely walk at the time just, you know, from just being inflamed. And I, real, I, I loved eating corn. I ate corn a lot, and I found out that that was one of the sensitivities I had. And the minute I stopped doing that and stopped, you know, obviously eating grains and all that, what a drastic change it, came, it did to, to, to just for me to walk. So, I mean, uh, people say that things think it's expensive, but the amount, the, the things you can find out just from that, the food sensitivity test is unbelievable. So I'm curious to see what the other ones can, can do for health because it, what it's done for me is amazing. Good. I'd like Good. to thank him for coming up with it. <laughs> well, well, first of all, thank you so much for the call. That, that, that's such a wonderful story. So that's fantastic. And, and to your point, it, Terrence, it, it's that inflammation that's the root cause and back to the oil in your engine. You know, it's like, you know, if that was the wrong oil, which corn clearly was in your case, then, you know, uh, anything you can do to eliminate that, we're all, we're all eager to do it. But as you say, it's, it's getting... It's being um, smart as you were to kind of you know, take make that investment in something and, and see if it can have an improvement. Yeah, yeah. And fantastic hey, so, you know, in the case that it did. Hey, let's... Uh, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Since you, you brought right, that thanks, up... I'm going to let someone else go in there. Yeah, thanks, Terrence. Oh, right, James, right. I just said I'm going to let you go, and now i got another topic I want to talk to you about from that question. <laughs> um, corn didn't come up. Corn is a really interesting food. Uh, again, corn is a grain. That, that's the first thing we have to realize. This is one of those grains. I don't believe it's human food. Corn has almost completely taken over our food supply. Um, one of the yeah, books... I, mean, I think you can, you can trace it back to, was it the 50s or 60s when they came up with corn syrup and they had yes. the, the excesses of corn and they were <laughs> trying to think of different places they could stick it. And um, yep. unfortunately, as you say, it's, they really did stick it to us. So hey. um, unfortunately, and so, you know, that's been the problem. And, you know, it, that's probably close, close on the list of number four and five for sure. It's, it's you know, it's up there. And the damage, I think most of us are aware of that, you know, just the quantity and... But again, the processing of it to get it to that form is, is, you know, has proven over a period of time that, yes, they might have got rid of a, a lot of corn, but I'm not sure how much, you know, to what detriment in terms of corn syrup has called, caused, uh, you know, the U.S. population at large. You know, it, it, um, one, of the, one of my favorite books, I've read, like, now I'm well over 200 books on health and nutrition and food, and I'm fascinated by some of them. One of my favorites always sticks out was um, Omnivore's Dilemma. Uh, you know, what humans are about the only species on the planet that think about what they have to eat. We're supposed yep. to be so intelligent, but we're the only species on the planet that doesn't know what to eat anymore. We don't understand what our food supply should be. And corn is really not part of our food supply and shouldn't be. And yet in Omnivore's Dilemma, he does this thing where... He takes a McDonald's Big Mac meal and he traces it all, every part of that meal back to its source. Where did it oh, wow. come from? How did this meal come to be? And here's the crazy thing. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a little off on these numbers because I don't remember them exactly. But one of the things he pointed out, so this is a Big Mac, French fries, a soda, and a sundae, I think. And he traced it back and said, if you look at the calories in this food and where did they come from, the number I believe was in the 70% range. I'm thinking like 72 or 73% of the calories in that Big Mac meal come from corn. 
How is that possible? There's no corn in this meal. I know. <laughs> it probably didn't I, even have corn radish on it. So no. Like, where did it come from? <laughs> no corn visible anywhere in the meal, and yet almost three-quarters of the calories came from corn. And I thought, that can't be right. But then he pointed out the soda, 100% of the calories came from corn. Yeah, all corn syrup. It's all corn syrup. That's the only calorie in that. Yeah. Beverage, that's it. So it's 100% corn. Who thinks of that when they're drinking a soda? And the bun has corn, and the ketchup has corn, and the Big Mac sauce has corn, and, and the, the cow was fed a lot of corn, and on and on and on. Yeah. It's yeah. awful. Yeah. yeah, that's a fascinating stat. That's great. Uh, well, it's, it's, fr- it's very frightening, but it's, it's, it's great that someone took the time to go through that, because as you say... Yeah, you're, 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 I would say, definitely PhD level knowledge of, of, of all, all things healthcare. And the fact that, you know, you and I are shocked at the, that high percentage, you, we, we know it's a kind of a hidden ingredient, but to that level is, is, is stunning, isn't it? And let's think about, I just thought about this. We get a test back and it, your good food sensitivity test, we're excited and there's corn on there. Is anybody going to yeah. think to cut out soda? Yeah. Why would you? Yeah, I know. I know. <sighs> Crazy. All right, James. Like I said, I, I could do this all day long. I, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day. This is it has been fun. It's been a privilege to a hear the great story from Terence and, and get your your all your amazing stories as well. So thank you for giving us the opportunity to talk to your wonderful listeners and stuff. And so. Uh, again, anytime you you you, uh, you you have a you've got some spare time, I, I'd love to jump on again and maybe go over a bit more on the cardiovascular test as well and, yes. uh, and go through some of that stats. Yeah, let's just schedule that. I would love to do that. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you again for your time and thank you for all your listeners and, and especially Terence for that wonderful story uh, and uh, and getting us going on corn. There you go. All right, James. Thanks, and we will right. talk to you again Good soon. Stuff. All right, take care. All right, let's uh, let's get to some calls. Phone lines are open. I will stay here as long as you've got questions or until about the three-hour mark or so. Um, The number, 855-950-3835, or hit the call now button on your app. Seems like we've gotten the phone system working right. I don't know why it's so wonky right in the beginning all the time. Uh, But it seems like it's working now, so let's get to some calls. Let's go to Texas. Martin, welcome to the program. Good morning. Good morning. What's on your uh, mind today? Well, I'm at home, and I was out in the barn yes, last night, and I stepped on a rusty screw, and I haven't had a tetanus shot in as long as I can remember, probably as a kid. I was going to get your opinion on Yeah, tetanus. I'm glad you asked this. Glad you asked this, because this is something I spent some time thinking about and researching. <laughs> and um, So you, you mentioned barn, so I'm assuming some sort of a farm, right? Yes. Is that how you grew up? Uh, I did. I'm, okay. I've got 32 acres here at my house now. Yeah. And I've so, got cows and pigs and chickens. And- so that kind of a life, whether we're talking about trucks or, you know, a lot of us are gearheads or you're working on a farm. How many times in your lifetime, thinking primarily hands right now, how many times in your lifetime have you cut your hands working on stuff around the farm? Daily, probably. Daily, really. I mean, I, I, I'm kind of the same way. I've turned wrenches my whole life. Now I do, you know, love the whole farm thing. You're constantly cutting your hands. 
It's just common. It's all the time. And aren't those hands around all kinds of rusty stuff all the time? Yes. So why is it only when we step on a rusty nail do they want to give us a tetanus shot? I mean, if they're correct, we should all, anybody who does the kind of work you and I do, physical work where you're getting nicks and cuts, and shouldn't we all be terrified that we're going to get lockjaw? To put it that way, yes. But how often, have you ever heard of anybody having lockjaw in your entire life? No. Me either. Not one person. I don't know of one person that ever got lockjaw, but what they tell us is if you have a cut and it's exposed to rust because there is a virus that can live on rust that causes tetanus and then tetanus can cause lockjaw. I mean, it all sounds logical, except in the real world, it doesn't ever seem to happen. I stopped doing tetanus shots a long, long time ago. I just absolutely refuse them. No way. I, I don't see why I would need one. Uh-oh. Did we lose you? No. Oh, there you are. You went away there for a second. There you I are. Hear you again. Yeah, I, I, just in case you didn't hear the final statement, I gave up tetanus shots a long time ago. There's no way I would get one. Okay. Yeah, I was just wondering because it, it was in the barn. It's wet and muddy down there and crappy and... Um, it just like just like that barn has been thousands of other times through your life and you've cut yourself and and we've scraped our hands on rusty parts i mean it really and again just just look at the general population i wonder what the incidence of lockjaw even is i mean <laughs> i've never heard of a single case i haven't either yeah, so for me, okay. no, just a- absolutely no. It's beca- I just think it's one of those things that I don't know how it got started, but nobody ever seems to question it. Is this really necessary, or are we just loading ourselves up with a bunch of toxins for no reason? Right. Okay. Yeah, so for me, it's a big no. Yeah. I think I'll, I'll pass on this one as well. All right. I probably had four or five. I'm 55, but uh, you know, four or five. I'm probably 20, 25. I'm probably the same way as a kid. I, I again because I was active. I was working on things. I was working on the garage. I was outside all the time. And yeah, you you'd puncture yourself with a rusty nail, and immediately, oh my God, you better get a tetanus shot. And we all did. But why? Yeah, I never considered it on just cuts, and I don't know why. Yeah, what's the difference? I, I, I get it. If I step on that nail, it's usually kind of deep. It's a puncture wound. But I can't count how many times I've cut my hands on rusty metal. And if the virus is yeah. there, if that's how this works, there could be that virus in the rust. You cut yourself. The rust is present. You need a tetanus shot. Except for the last 35 or 40 years, I've never gotten one. So, All right. well, yeah, that's my take. For call. There you go. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Ohio. AJ, welcome. Yeah, Kevin, how you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Good. What's on your mind today? I can barely get hear you, but we'll try to get through this. Um, so I got a call from my wife earlier. She was talking about listening to this podcast. We're talking about hydrogen water, and she wanted me to listen to it and uh, – the first thing that came to my mind, first I want to get your thoughts on it, but the first thing that came to my mind was that we should be getting this naturally, uh, 
you know, that same thing you say on, on supplements of everything we should get well, naturally. Now, I would think that hydrogen comes out of the air mostly, right? That's where we get our main supply. Well, well wait a minute. What is water? What, what's the chemical symbol for water? Yeah, H2O. It, what's the H stand for? Hydrogen. When we want to produce hydrogen, like for these hydrogen injection systems, where do we get the hydrogen from? Uh, I would imagine water. 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 I talked about it. One of the hassles of running these injection systems was you didn't want any minerals to clog things up, so you use distilled water. That's where we get hydrogen from. So somebody has to explain to me what the hell hydrogen water is. That's exactly what I said, was you, you get it, you already get it naturally. It, it is hydrogen, H2O. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't get it. It's hydrogen and oxygen. That, that's so, what are, I, so your point in the beginning was that this isn't natural. Hunter-gatherers didn't drink hydrogen water, whatever, whatever the hell it is. So that's my first clue. And second, there's already a bunch of hydrogen in water. So, I, I, you know, maybe I should go listen to the podcast, but I'd love to hear why they think this is some necessity or it's going to make us healthier. I think it's total bunk. That's what, that's what I was thinking. And their, their reasoning was to get free radicals, uh, boost the hydrogen to get, uh, to get rid of free radicals. To, the only thing, and this is, now, you know, now that you so, perspective, you, you think about it, it, it wanted to um, quench. The only thing that would quench and free the free radicals is hydrogen. But like you said, uh, you know, it's right there. Hydrogen is the biggest element in it. Well, let's talk about something else because I have a much easier, cheaper way to help with free radicals. We do have free radicals in our body and free radicals cause inflammation and damage. We know that. You know one of the best ways to neutralize free radicals? Go stand in the grass. That's all it takes. A free radical is a, a, a cell with a missing an electrical charge. And because it's damaged, it causes damage in our body. When we go ground by, by connecting our body directly to the earth, that fixes those free radicals. It provides that charge that they need to become complete. That's the natural way. That's how we should be combating free radicals is by grounding. And doesn't that make much more sense? Didn't our hunter-gatherer ancestors ground? All the time. A hundred percent of the time. But did our hunter-gatherer ancestors drink some goofy made-up hydrogen water? Yeah, no. No, no. They, they just connected to the earth. And we were grounded, and that took care of free radicals. So just go spend more time outside barefoot. Gotcha. Uh, another thing I wanted to bring up was uh, Flormaquat. It's a pesticide that's, from what I understand, not even allowed for use in the U.S. However, it keeps showing up in tests of, like, Quaker oats and Cheerios. Oats seem to be a about this? yeah. Oats seem to be a big, big problem with this. Um, I think this is going to be the next glyphosate. We're going to find out how damaging this really is. And um, you know, it's interesting that we've you know we don't believe in grains at all. But the one grain that everybody thinks is so crazy healthy are oats. 
I don't know why everybody think it, marketing that that's why they've marketed this dust that these oats are so heart healthy and they're really not. And now we find out that they are heavily contaminated with these chemicals. That aren't even approved. It, correct. Not even approved. And yet somehow they keep finding their way into our food supply. Right. But, and I haven't studied this one enough yet to know. I'm assuming that even though it's technically not approved as a pesticide or insecticide or whatever it does, uh, that if it's available for purchase, then somebody's probably using it. Right. Right. Yeah, it's used mainly to keep the stems from falling over so it's easier to harvest in the machines. Oh, my Make God. More money. Oh, you got to be kidding me. That's all. That's that's the main reason why stems won't pull over. So it's easier. So they don't lose as much of the harvest. And it's easier. Well, easier to make money. Why are we surprised? Follow the money. I'm not surprised. Yeah, I'm not surprised either. But that that seems to be in the news the last couple weeks. I've seen that. And I I have a feeling we're going to be hearing a lot more about it. Absolutely. Well. I appreciate you taking my call. Let somebody else get in there. All right. Good stuff. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Ohio. Herschel, good morning. Hey, Kevin. You hear me okay? I can. What's on your mind today? Well, I put a post up on the Healthy Tribe talking about headaches, and I got one comment back about have I considered salt. Now, I did just get blood work done with Dr. Wolfson, and we'll talk about that on the health coach after I have my review with the doctor. Okay. But for, so, for sodium, the correct range, so says the blood work, is 136 to 145. I was 138. So I'm in there, but not by much. But the comment was to use Redmond's salt. Because I use, he asked what I use. I use pink Himalayan. And he said, no, you, you really ought to use Redmond's that has the iodine. But I could swear that I've always heard that iodized salt is not a good idea. So what's your opinion for that? Well, we have to look at why. And iodine is another thing I... It's funny you bring this up. The last call just brought up the that chemical. Um, iodine is on my list to go back and kind of look at again and see, is this one of the things we might be missing? And you will typically get iodine either from a lot of seafood or iodized table salt. That's why we put iodine into salt, because there were a lot of deficiencies because people weren't eating enough seafood. Um, but we don't want the iodized salt because it's, it's the cheapest form. It's not natural. The amounts aren't correct. There are different salts that come from all over the world, and some have more iodine than others. And if Redmond is one of these that has a higher iodine level, um, I may be making that recommendation soon as well. But that is a completely natural form of balanced iodine the way it occurs in nature. That's the difference. Okay, so you think that the Redmond's that has iodine in it would be now, better then? Now, I, just because I haven't done the research on this yet, but it's on my list, you're not, are you claiming that Redmond's is adding iodine to their salt or that it's in there occurring naturally? Now, that I do not know. All I know is the guy that commented said that Redmond's had iodine, and I don't know how to define that because that's all that 
that's all that the commenter said. So yeah, I, I mean, know. iodine is a naturally occurring substance. The problem is that there's not a lot of it, and it's in very specific foods, uh, and we do need some of it. Um, I'm going to check real quick to see if they're adding it. Uh, if they're adding it, I, I would say no. I, I would avoid it, and I would try to find a more um, natural. Uh, let's see. I mean, everything I'm seeing so far says that there are salts that do have iodine in them naturally at uh, at better levels. Um, and I'm looking right now about Redmond itself specifically. Um, so I'm just going to go through this. Iodized salt was developed during World War I to fix widespread iodine deficiencies. The iodine in iodized salt isn't as bioavailable as the iodine in food. That's my point. It never is. Um, all salt, including Redmond's real salt, contains some naturally occurring iodine, but not enough to meet your RDA. You can easily meet the RDA of iodine through iodine-rich foods. Um, now, here's the crazy thing. An eighth of a cup of iodized salt is a thousand percent of what your body needs, but you only absorb about a hundred percent of it. So that's how they came up with how much iodine they were going to put in there. They had to put in 10 times more than what they needed in order for our body to be able to absorb the hundred percent that we need. This is why iodized salt is a bad idea. We're getting a worse version of it, not a naturally occurring version, and we're getting 10 times more than we need because our body needs that much to be able to absorb it. But if we were to eat, and it does not look like Redmond adds any to theirs, so I'm not sure why they specifically say Redmond. Maybe I'll do a little research and find out what, type of salt does have the most iodine um, but honestly i don't believe salt is where we are supposed to be getting the majority of our iodine from well i thought it was weird i looked back at dr wolfson's blood results that i just got about a week ago and iodine isn't even a category on the blood work to show you a level good no. bad or indifferent so now yeah, we, we it, 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 it's kind of been ignored and it may we may find that it is one of those things that if we focus on it more uh it, here's here's a, a you know some of the foods cod is naturally high seaweed um by far is is the uh, you would only eat need to eat about um less than 10 grams of seaweed to get enough iodine that that's by far the highest naturally occurring um milk can have iodine in it depending how it was raised eggs can be a pretty good source um you're not getting a ton but you're getting good quality um and liver has some as well um, but it's not one of those um nutrients that's easy to get on a regular basis okay well the the headache part of this, I've been dealing with headaches virtually every day. It drives me nuts. It's not the kind that's debilitating, but it's the kind you sure wish would go away. Just annoying. Yeah. Where, it, where, where it is is from the temples forward and above the eyebrows. Do you have any idea what kind of headache that might be so I can maybe figure out 
how to make it go away. Just out of curiosity, one of the things that will actually absolutely cause headaches, just like you were describing, and I chased this down for quite some time. And then a couple years later, after that, I chased it down again because I forgot what it was the first time. And I don't know if this is your case or not. For me, it was glasses. Well, and the funny thing is that you say glasses because I actually next week have to go have a surgery done on my left eye because I have a macular hole. Ah, there is a hole in that, the macula. That, that, that makes your eye strain to try to see around that hole. Well, that's kind of what I, my wife and I are both thinking. And usually when I go against my wife, I usually lose. And she thinks it's funny because I keep trying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but the weird thing, when they repair this macular hole, I have to stay face down for five days oh, after they do it. You're kidding me. Five that sounds days awful. Because they take. Yeah, they take out this, they call it a gel, some kind of stuff that's in your eyeball naturally. And as you get older, it goes away, just kind of comes out in like a tear form, like when your eye waters. But mine's all messed up, and it's sticky, so it pulled a hole in the macula. So they take it out, and they put in a gas bubble. And for the gas bubble to push on the macula so it can heal, you have to stay face down so the gas rises toward the eyeball and the retina. Yeah, you got to stay face down for five days. Oh, that's going to suck. That does suck. Holy cow. Like, that makes it difficult to do almost anything. I won't be driving Christine Jr., I can tell you that. That's for sure. Yeah, so I I would... you know, the, 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 here's the one thing I will tell you, that since I changed my diet, headaches used to be a regular occurrence for me. I mean, just constantly. I mean, it was just a, like, a, I, I don't know, a, not every day, but headaches were very, very common. And since I changed the way I eat, headaches are completely rare now. In fact, about the only time I ever get a headache now is just like what I went through with COVID. I had a horrendous headache for about two days with COVID. But other than that, I just don't get headaches at all anymore. And if I do, I immediately think about my eyes and my glasses because twice now that's been the problem for me. Okay. Well, Kevin, I'll let you go. I'm at the NS Railroad and the phone signal here is terrible. I'm surprised you still hear me. All right. No, you sound good. So uh, we will let you go and we will talk to you again soon. I would wait and see. I don't know anything about that eye surgery, but you you may find that that may take care of the headaches. And boy, did the calls pile up on us. So we're going to get to them. Let's go to Oklahoma. Lloyd, welcome. Hello, Kevin. Can you hear me all right? I can. What's on your mind today? Uh, I was diagnosed with Meniere's disease about three months ago. And traditional medicine has me on a couple of different pills and I was trying to see if there was something I could do that's a little more natural other than a lot of the changes I've made in my diet over the last six months. Um, so tell me about the changes you've made in your diet. So a truck driver, typical t- truck driver diet, uh, I've gone from that to no bread, no potatoes, and no corn, uh, I quit. I basically have quit sugar cold turkey. 
there is the occasional breakdown as far as like uh, last night my wife and I were sitting down to dinner. She's a Dr. Pepper freak, and I had a sip of her Dr. Pepper, and that's probably the last time I'll drink a Dr. Pepper because it was way too sweet for me. That's what happens, um, yeah. Yeah. So, I, so I, for me, I, so I've gone from the absolute legendary sweet to Sorry, go ahead. Good. And I'm glad we got the sugar out of the diet, but I want to go back to something else you said. You said no bread. Do you mean just bread or do you mean anything with wheat in it? Uh, I, I would say, unless it catches me off guard, I would say no wheat. I mean, I haven't actually studied everything that's got, that like, I could possibly sneak up on. Like no pasta, right? Uh, so that was sneaking up on me for a while, but that's been about a month and a half or two since the last time I had any pasta. Okay, because pasta is basically pure wheat. Yes. There's more wheat in pasta many times than bread itself. But we got to watch things like crackers, cakes of any kind. And I know when you cut out sugar, you cut out most of that kind of baked stuff. But wheat is all over the place. I've seen wheat in salad dressings. We got to remember gravy. Anywhere you're going to get gravy, it was made from wheat. Yeah. Now we can make gravy without wheat. We can make pasta without wheat. We we've you know we we can make all kinds of baked goods now without wheat. But if you are not really really diligent, there's probably I, I'm going to make a guess that there's probably still wheat in your diet you haven't identified yet. You're probably correct in that. And that would be, when you say, what else can you do, that would be it, to to ruthlessly hunt down every form of wheat in your diet, make sure you eliminate it. Okay. Um, Something that's changed in my diet that I absolutely crave like crazy, and I did not like either one of these two things before, uh, kosher dill pickles and peppers. Any kind of pepper, it's... I can't get enough, it seems like. So when you say peppers, are you talking fresh or pickled, since you mentioned pickles themselves? So it would be pickled, sorry, yeah, it would be pickled. Okay, and the reason I ask that is because I think you're craving the pickling, not the pepper or the cucumber. Okay, okay. Now, the good All news right. here is those foods aren't bad for you. I mean, there's nothing I could really say about a kosher dill pickle that's necessarily bad or a pickled pepper. But what would be better is a fermented pickle. And if you like pickles and you like pickled flavor, you're going to like fermented foods. They end up tasting almost identical. The difference is pickles use vinegar when we pickle something we do it with vinegar which is acetic acid and it gives it that sour pickled taste when we naturally ferment that same cucumber we do it by creating lactic acid which is sour and gives us that pickle taste but lactic acid creates probiotics and pickling doesn't and probiotics are good for our gut health so I ferment more cucumbers than anything. I mean, I I love dill pickles, and my favorite is a spicy garlic dill pickle, but I I ferment them instead of buying them pickled. So they're they're much healthier that way. But it sounds to me like, for whatever reason, you're craving that kind of pickled taste. 
Yeah, so I, I kind of took it to heart that it's kind of like the pregnant woman that cra- craves whatever because her body needs it. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go with it and just keep eating pickles. <laughs> you know, I want to address that. I, I don't disagree with you. And uh, there is a time when we can trust our food cravings, but we have to be very careful with that. That is, And here's why we have to be careful with it, because most people, the majority of their diet is not real food. I am sure people crave Doritos. That is not your body telling you you need more Doritos. That is your body telling you your taste buds have been hijacked by our industrial food system. Those foods have been designed to make you crave them. But once you start eating a clean, real, whole food diet and you pay attention to your body, I do believe there are some cravings that that could be an indicator that we're missing something. Um, I, I... I really, really like dark chocolate, and there are times when I crave it. And I, I think that's probably a mineral issue. But that would okay. not mean that I should go out and eat three Hershey bars because that's not dark chocolate. That's not a, a – so right. The really when I get that chocolate craving, I should go for 100% dark chocolate. I mean, that would be the healthiest version. I tend to eat about 90%, which is uh, pretty darn high, and most people won't, can't even eat 90%. It's pretty bitter. Um, but So there are some food cravings, but I am very careful about that because the majority of people that are craving foods has nothing to do with their body and what it needs nutritionally. I see. Okay. Um, as far as the veneers goes, so you're saying if I eliminate wheat, that'll, that'll help a lot. I understand that. Um, is, is there anything that I can take medicinally, like some some sort of supplement? I mean, I'm not looking for the microwave answer. Here, here you go, take this and you're fixed. I'm, I just really, I feel like I'm eat, do, I'm doing way better than I used to as far as my diet goes. I just need some help, something maybe to push me over the over the top kind of a thing. Um, there's nothing. There's nothing um, really amazing that, you know, I could just say, oh, go take this supplement and it um, it's going to get rid of your symptoms. And it really is more about avoiding foods rather than adding foods or, or even supplements. It, sugar is is one of the worst, simple sugars. So you've already gotten rid of that. Wheat and grains which become uh, sugar in our body. That's why we want to make sure we eliminate all those um, grains and wheat because those become sugar. I mean, when you eat a slice of bread or a bowl full of pasta, it becomes sugar in your body because that's what it is. It's just, you know, you've heard the term complex carbohydrates. That's just a longer chain of carbohydrates. But in order to digest them, our body has to break them down into simple sugar. So that's why we want to make sure we get rid of all the grains. The other thing uh, you might want to try that could help with some of your symptoms, alcohol, tobacco, or caffeine will all exacerbate this. Yeah, I've totally eliminated caffeine um i i I do occasionally drink decaf coffee there's probably still some caffeine in that though i'm guessing um 
Oh, I just, uh, Sarah just sent me a book and I, I want to pass this along because we were talking about it. I'm going to go read, read this one because I haven't read much about this. Um, there's a book called The Iodine Crisis. I think I'm going to get that one. I want to listen to that one. Um, so again, we'll go back. This is more about eliminating foods rather than adding foods. Here, here's, you know, one of my go-tos anymore to help people understand whether or not this is truly a food nutritional issue if there's something else going on. And I will tell you, it's almost always a food and nutritional issue. It's very rare that it's anything else. And one of the ways that we can show people this, um, and I know it sounds extreme, but but it's really not. Uh, If you could eat as close to pure carnivore as you could for two weeks and see if you notice any improvement in symptoms, my guess is you're going to. Okay, so when you say pure carnivore, that, that's strictly meat, so... Well, uh, beef, hold on. Chicken, fish, that it, kind of- yeah, anything that comes from an animal, we consider carnivore. So any animal counts. I don't care if you're eating chipmunks. Any, anything with a face counts as carnivore. And honestly, it's all nutritious and it's all about the same. So whether it's beef, pork, chicken, or chipmunks, I, I don't care. Eat it. Eggs... Eggs are a big part of carnivore, and, and they add a lot of variety to carnivore. Okay. They add a lot of nutrition, and dairy is considered carnivore. Just be careful with the quality of it. But, yeah, those are okay. the true carnivore foods. You're either eating an animal or something that came from an animal. Okay. I guess that's really all I had. I, and I, then I would appreciate all your time. I, I would also make sure you are getting plenty of salt and water okay so uh, i'm taking a diuretic that's what prescribed me and i feel like yeah so diesel engine you know air in air out i feel like i'm a water pump water in water out it's just it, that's bad it's to me. that's uh, bad that the water i'm drinking that may be exacerbating your symptoms because I'm saying you need to be fully hydrated. That's why we eat lots of salt and drink lots of water because that will get our body to hold as much of that water as we really need. And it, it will be balanced and it will be correct. When we throw in a diuretic, it, first off, it's a bad idea to try to get rid of this water unnaturally like that. And we're putting another toxic chemical in our body. Yeah, I, I kind of felt like it wasn't wasn't good for me. But, I, you know, I, I'm under a doctor's care, so, I, you know, I, I'm just looking to, you know, I've listened to you enough to know that the traditional medicine is not the greatest thing. And um, let, let's, just, let's just be brutally honest about it. There is nothing about our traditional medical system. I'm not going to call it a health care system. It's not. It's a sick care system. There is nothing, not one part of our, our medical system today that does anything that makes anybody healthier. Nothing. I agree. I do agree. Well, I, I certainly do. Thank you for your time, Kevin. You spent a lot of time with me. Uh, thank you very much for that, and I appreciate everything you do for us. You are welcome. Good talking to you. Have a great day. Let's go to Washington. Sarah, welcome. Hey, uh, it's kind of windy, so I'm not sure of the quality of my call, so I'm going to make it quick. When you were talking to the guy from KBMO, you mentioned 
Um, we're kind of moving away from discussing bioindividuality because it's not so much genetics. But what we can focus on, and mainly is what we do focus on, is epigenetics. Ah, How what we do affects our genes, our ex, or let's say movement, our movement, what we put in our face, um, how much rest we get, that all has an effect on how our genes are read. Yeah, good point. And how they are expressed in our body. Good point. Or or uh-huh. how much um, exposure have we as an individual had to all these chemicals? I mean, everybody has wildly different levels of exposure. If you grew up on a farm in a much more natural environment and you lived that way for years as a child and somebody else grew up in a city around a lot of pollution and chemicals, two very different outcomes there. And you're right, it's it's not our, our true genetics, but those things can change our genetics. Right, how our, and our, our environment, how our environment right. affects our genetics. And the great thing about looking at epigenetics is while we can't change our genetics, we can do something about our environment. I mean, if you have something serious enough, you can move to a different state that's not in the agricultural belt and constantly being sprayed with pesticides. You can you can change your environment. Yeah, you know who's a great example anyway, that's of that? All I have for today. Um, Dr. Mercola uh-huh. grew up in Chicago, started his practice in Chicago, built a very, very big business in Chicago. But when he realized how important environment was, he moved to Florida. Moved the whole business, you know, everything. I mean it was a big deal, but he, he did that for purely health reasons. Excellent example. And especially in um, in our industry where, like from testing, I, I have the problem of having a lot of car exhaust toxins in me as ah, well as yep. plastic, plastic from the constant water bottle drinking or drinking water out of gowns because we don't have plumbing in the truck. Um, so I've, I got a water filter and I'm experimenting with that. Still working on trying to pick what kind of air filter to put in the truck in, in addition to the truck, you know, yeah. uh, filters that are, just, he, you know, just keeping dust and stuff out. You know, another one of these I read about the other day, and I hadn't thought about it in this sense, but I switched a long, long time ago. I've, I've been a big foodie really my whole life. I started cooking when I was a teenager and really done it ever since. And there was that time where we went through um, cutting boards all started to become mostly plastic. And if you go to restaurants, that's all they use, just plastic cutting boards. And without really thinking about it or understanding the science, at some point I decided to go back to just completely wood. I mean, plastic just didn't seem right to me. Um, but, but they tried to tell us that wood, because it's porous, would absorb bacteria and you would get sick and plastic doesn't do that. Well, it turns out, and, and what convinced me was a brand new plastic cutting board might not hold on to bacteria. But after you start cutting on them and you cut those grooves in over and over and over, now food will stick in those grooves and plastic actually develops more bacteria than wood does. Wood actually can pull the bacteria into the wood itself and kill it. 
wood will kill a lot of bacteria. Plastic doesn't. That was what convinced me to go back to wood. Now what I'm reading is you are eating a bunch of plastic if you are cutting most of your food on a plastic cutting board. You are getting those microplastics in every meal. Also, if you are using a one of those hand, uh, fancy non-stick pans and you see that stuff tip away and yeah. disappear, that's going into your food and into your body. There's, yeah, forever There's so chemicals. many things when we start looking at epigenetics, how, how we can just do small things to try and manage them and change them. It, it gives us hope that there's something we can change. Yes. Um, but Good that, point. That's all I have for today. All right. I think it's noisy out here. Okay. Right. Thanks. Bye. I appreciate it. Thanks for the uh, book recommendation. I'm going to read that one. Let's go to Tennessee. Ryan, welcome. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, before I forget, hopefully you can hear me okay. You sound I'm good. I'm not yeah. real tech savvy. Appreciate that. Uh, I'm not real tech savvy, so I'm just sharing this with you in case anybody else is experiencing what I'm experiencing. Uh, uh, I'm on a Bluetooth, of course, which I, I, I think is okay, uh, meaning my Bluetooth itself. I think I have sat through on hold with four callers, and they have came through on my end without missing a beat, but every, every, uh, phone call when you're talking it comes in and out in and out in and out i don't know maybe that's that god's country gorge if you still live out there no i I do we've identified what that problem is and we are solving it in our software we're not able to solve it for some reason and nobody has been able to figure this out so without getting too deep into the technology when you're when you're using audio on a computer you can tell the device where you want the audio to come from. Is it going to come from this microphone? Is it going to come from the microphone built into the laptop? Is it going to come from the phone? And usually once you tell the computer, pull the audio from here, that's the only place it should pull the audio from. But for some reason in our setup, If you are listening to me on our app, you're driving down the road and you're just listening, you're not called in or anything, you are hearing my voice come directly through my headset. That's why it sounds good. For some reason, and nobody can figure it out, our phone system is grabbing my audio from my open laptop speaker. And the reason you kind of hear the volume going in and out is because I have a headset on and I wander all over the room when I'm talking. But it changes because my laptop's in one place. Plus, that's not a very good quality microphone. And it picks up all kinds of background noise. And because I'm wandering around and I'm farther and closer, the sound is wonky. But it shouldn't do this. And nobody knows why it can do it. Nobody can figure out how to fix it. Um, we are fixing it in our own app. We should not have this problem once we get our app up and running. Okay, good deal. I appreciate that information. Well, on a different note, I just um, wanted to share something with you. I guess it's more of just kind of an update, maybe some encouraging news for you and the listeners, as well as just I like to share good news whenever I have it. Good. Uh, I spoke with, of course, I, I, I listen to all of your shows 
pretty much religiously. I'm a truck driver, still am, was back then, uh, you know, several years ago. Um, uh, maybe roughly three years ago. It could have been a little bit longer than that. I really wasn't doing real well with my health. And just from listening to your show, I mean, I had a very good idea of what I needed to do, but I was in a really bad spot emotionally, mentally, physically, et cetera. And I made a phone call uh, to your show on Destination Health, and you and I talked at great length. And, uh, you know, I was a very active alcoholic at the time. And uh, based on weight and age and height in your eyes, it definitely was obesity and we talked about a bunch of different stuff, but I just wanted to let you know, uh, not too long after that, uh, some of that time frame of my life is a little, a little dark. But September 19th of 20, I checked myself into inpatient long-term treatment for my alcoholism. Okay. And uh, I have battled with alcoholism my entire life. I'm 56 now. My my first drink and drunk, I, it was, I think, fifth grade. It was either fifth or sixth. I wasn't in junior high. <laughs> right. Uh, but I know, but I know, uh, you know, at the first of high school, I mean, I, any that's a whole different story. But anyways, so I guess I finally reached, Kevin, a place of sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. Nothing really bad happened. Right. Right. You know, some alcoholics will ask me, what was your turning point? You know, did you lose your job? Did your wife leave you? Did you get a DUI? Right. Did you lose your CDL? I basically just woke up one morning and looked in the mirror and said, I can't do this anymore. Good. So I called a local treatment center that I was familiar with, and they said, actually, we don't do inpatient treatment anymore. And I was like, oh, okay, well, do you have any suggestions? She said, yes, a landmark uh, out of Louisville, Kentucky, and she gave me the number. So I called them. They were very, and he said, we have one bed open, and uh, we'll come and get you. And I was like, in Mount Sterling, Kentucky, I'll just come in the morning. And he's like, nah, you probably won't feel like it in the morning. We'll come get you. <laughs> so they did. In about Good. three hours, they showed up. They picked me up. I'm getting to my point. But so I check in, and, you know, it was a life-changing experience. Now, adding to that, I was very active in AA at one time, way back in 2001. So this was not my first bout of sobriety. Okay. So I am I embraced it, and um, uh, it was just an amazing, wonderful experience. Good. After 37 days, I got out. Okay. So when I got out, I ate meat cheese and eggs. When I made the comment to you about changing my diet, I said, well, based on listening to your show, I have a good idea what I need to do. And you said, well, what's that, Brian? I said, eat food with no ingredients, drink water, black coffee, and unsweet tea. There you go. And you said, I'll make it even easy. You said, I'll make it even easier for you. Eat meat, cheese, and eggs. <laughs> so, Kevin I, Kevin, I did that. I mean, really, I did. I did that. The thing I think I noticed that made the most significant impact 
in all aspects of my health was literally cutting out sugar 100%. Interesting. So I, so I continued that for a while, very religiously, as well as I started to get a little bit more active. Yeah. So I, lo- I lost 97 pounds in eight months. Congratulations. That's incredible. And the way that I, the way that I felt was mind blowing. I mean, absolutely mind blowing. So uh, I still have my sobriety. Um, I do not. I'm not that strict about my diet, but I have not put a whole lot of weight back on. Uh, there's a lot of medication that I don't take anymore. Good. Uh, from speaking with you, I think that that has helped me a lot. So I also wanted to let you know, thank goodness to the Internet. So back when I was talking about shortly after that, I got rid of Sirius XM. I changed jobs. I went to just this trucking company I work for is amazing. It's really a shame that it took me two years, I mean, two, almost two years ago to make that change. They actually offered me a job back in October of 1998 when I was very early into trucking and what a fool I was to turn down the job, but I would have messed it up back then. I was just going to say, things happen for a reason. You might have probably screwed it up. Every, everything happens for yeah. a reason. I don't believe yeah. in coincidences. So I, um, <clears throat> like I said, was without status, serious XM for quite some time. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big music freak, and I went to Apple Music. So getting to my point, so last Friday, um, it just kind of hit me out of the middle of nowhere. I was like, man, I wonder how Kevin Rutherford and his business <laughs> is going and you know, all that type of stuff. So, right. of course, I got on Google and Googled you, and something came up. And if I understood it correctly, I guess it's been a little while back, you were no longer with Sirius. I cancel so, culture got course, me. So, uh, say again? I said cancel culture got me. Ah, uh, well, I, and I remember you, yeah, kind of talking about that some. So, of course, I saw, um, you know, once I started surfing, uh, you know, let's truck.com and trucking tribe. And then of course the app and audio road and all that. And I'm like, well, that's really cool. So this was last Friday. So of course I installed the app and I listened to your live show last Friday. And, uh, I listened a little bit on Monday and then of course calling in today. And by the way, when I called in today, uh, your daughter, Chelsea, uh, I think she said her name was Chelsea. Yeah. Uh, what a, Chelsea, what a just a sweet, sweet lady. Um, <laughs> yes, what she a, is. What a what a what a, what a what a yeah, what a nice nice lady. But anyways, like I said, I won't keep you. I know there's a lot of people that probably hey, want to talk. I just uh, before uh, before oh, you go though, oh, well, go ahead and finish. But but yeah, don't oh, hang I've up because I, I have something for you. Time. Okay, and I was going to say too. I'm I'm in no hurry. I'm I'm going through Knoxville and bumper to bumper traffic. It's raining, so I'm in. I, I have all the time in the world, but. So um, I did want to mention something to you, if you can point me in the right direction, um, because I don't remember all the details back when I used to listen to you religiously. I just don't remember all the details. 
but my first ex-wife, uh, who is now, um, well, she's always been my best friend. Uh, we now live together with our two grown adult children. Uh, during the uh, uh, transition, if you want to call that, from rehabilitation and my sobriety and my new job, I have gone through a, a lot of big changes with uh, my previous ex-wife and this and that and so on yeah. and so forth. But anyway, so I'm back, I'm back with my first wife, the okay. mother of our beautiful children, and uh, it's it is such a blessing, such Good. a blessing Good. to really genuinely fall in love with someone's heart and soul. And, uh, you know, shame on me for what I did to her and the kids, but that's over. I can't change it. I need to learn to forgive myself. They have forgiven me. But on another note about health. So, Kay, um, and, and I'll be interested in, I'm sure you're going to give me some homework to move forward to try to help her. But she's a diabetic, and um, she's on lots of different medication and so on and so forth. I told her not long ago about listening to you for years and that you, I remember you making many, many comments about diabetes type 2 is reversible, if I remembered correctly, and you don't have to live this way. There's changes you can make. Let let me just stop you right there. Completely, 100% reversible. It's not difficult. It doesn't take long, and it works every single time. I've never, ever seen it fail. Never. And it's insane to me that it is the number one health problem in our country today, and it is completely 100% avoidable and completely 100% reversible. Okay. Okay. Here's the good news. Well, if you you, can... you, you, you don't need to do you, you don't need to go do a bunch of reading or research or you certainly can if you want, but really the absolute best way. I, I'm going to give you the extreme so that you understand, and then you know you and her decide how far you want to go with any of this stuff. But if you want to turn diabetes around as fast as possible and lose weight and solve all kinds of other medical issues and i could go on and on and on you would eat as close to a pure carnivore diet as you can that is what works better than anything if you ate 100 percent carnivore which nobody does but if you did that would turn around diabetes faster than anything so then once you understand that, that this is the goalpost, this is the extreme. If you got here, you're going to solve this as quick as you possibly can. Now, you know, every decision you make, you can gauge that. If you're going to eat some potatoes once in a while because you really want potatoes, it's not going to say that you're not going to fix this. It's just going to take a little longer. So, so now you've got a, right, a, a, right. A, a measuring stick to go by. The more animal products I eat, the faster I will cure my diabetes. Anything other than that will be somewhat of a compromise. So let's say you become 80% carnivore. You're still going to be non-diabetic. It might just take a little longer. Okay. So really, see, and I did not realize, see, I thought that there was a lot more involved with that. So in a nutshell, as as you have 
mentioned many, many times. 99.9% of health issues are all contributed to diet. Yeah, so you can it. throw diabetes in there, and all I, I can tell her, if you eat meat, cheese, and eggs and drink unsweet tea, water, and black coffee, and that's it, you're going to reverse your diabetes quickly, including... You're, you're going to quickly, but you're also going to see a lot of significant other differences when it comes to Absolutely. weight loss, the way you feel. Except, okay, joint joint okay. pain, so, brain fog, on and on and on. All that stuff just goes away. Energy levels go through the roof. Look, I just, just because I like to explain to people why, I, I've made the challenge before. If anybody or anybody's doctor thinks that's, that's some sort of an outrageous statement, um, I would I challenge any doctor to come on my show and debate me with it because this is really simple. Oh, what I, all I would have oh, to do wow. is ask the doctor, what is diabetes? Well, technically, it's insulin resistance. What causes that? Well, when we put sugar into our body, any form of sugar, which all carbohydrates are sugar. When we put that in our body, our body has to release insulin to get that sugar out of our bloodstream. Every doctor should understand that. It's a really simple concept. And when we keep putting too many carbohydrates into our body day after day after day after day for years and decades, we become insulin resistant and that's diabetes. Take the sugar completely out of your diet, all forms of sugar. And the only way to do that is to only eat meat because every plant food has sugar of some kind in it might be small amounts, but it's still there. So if we want the absolute right. best path, it is to avoid plant foods of all kinds and only eat meat. And if you're not putting sugar into your body, it would be impossible to be a diabetic. It just can't happen. So, so do you have any input or suggestions on what to do when it comes to you know, the two, three, four different diabetic medications she's on, blood pressure medication, all yes, that type just, of stuff? Is that, it, I mean... She just monitor the way she feels and monitor her blood sugar levels. What I would really recommend for is that first she's got to determine if, she, if she's going to make this change. She's got to be committed. Right. And if she's committed to make the, the change in the way she eats... I would tell her to go get a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor. Now, her doctor can prescribe one for her, and insurance will pay for it if she's diabetic, and it sounds like she is. If not, we partner. Well, she probably already has what you're, yeah, I think she already has what you're talking about, not to interrupt you, which she's got one that she sticks in her arm, and she's got the app on the phone. Oh, then she already has one. Perfect. Perfect. Here's yeah, the thing, though. Yeah. Here's the thing. I can almost guarantee if I got her on the phone right now, she would not be able to explain to me why she wears it and what she's supposed to be learning because the doctors never tell anybody because I don't think the doctors understand. But I could if she wanted to be in my health coaching program, which we do, we, I do a health uh, coach every other week i do a it's a live session where it's like this but i spend a lot more time with people because we're not on the air it's a private group and that way i can take more time i could i could go over her results from her cgm and i could teach her what is going on with her diabetes which is what the doctor should do but they never do and she will be 
amazed if she is already wearing that and we have numbers and then she changes the way she eats, she's going to start getting immediate feedback, which is excellent. You know, and also I just wanted to mention to you before I forgot, you know, Kay for the most is a pretty healthy woman. Uh, she's never been a drinker, smoker, engaged in rec- recreational drugs, that type of thing. She's always been pretty heavy, not insanely heavy. But back when we got a divorce, which was 2010, somewhere probably around 2015 or 2018, you know, because like I say, we remained good friends and kept in touch. You know, she was sharing with me that she was a diabetic. Uh, diagnosed with diabetes and so on and so forth. Uh, but she's lost like a bunch of weight. Uh, she's that, really actually kind of tiny. She, I mean, she has a lot of skin from her well, weight right, loss. I mean, right, I right. don't want to make, well, that, but, but I mean, you know, she looks, you know, she looks healthy and all, and all of that. But what I was going to say to you was, she really doesn't really get sick very often. So Monday morning, this past Monday morning at 5 a.m., I got up to, to get ready for work. And uh, our daughter was in the living room with her, and Kay was hovering over a trash can. I was like, what's wrong with mom? She's like, she's really sick. So I sat down, and I'm like, what's going on? She was like, I am extremely nauseous. I have blurred vision. She was shaking so bad, uncontrollably. She had, she had low blood sugar. You would have thought sugar. that she was having a... Well, that's what we were kind of thinking, and she was vomiting. Well, it wouldn't pass, so my daughter took her to the ER. The ER ran a bunch of tests and said, we don't know what's wrong with you. Maybe you got some kind of bug or virus. Now she feels okay, but what well, I wait, wanted wait, to wait, add to wait, that was... Wait, wait, did anybody look at her CGM data? Well, the now when you, at, you are you talking about what she wears on her arm? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, well, that's what I was getting. So, with that being said, this was the issue. My daughter's in the medical field, so she was like, "What's your blood sugar? What's your blood sugar?" Well, because of an insurance change in this country that we live in, she went from paying nothing for all of her diabetic stuff, paying zero for it. To her jardiance, which I guess is what she has on her arm. No, 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 no. Hold, hold, hold on. The device she has on her arm is a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor. Jardiance is a drug. Jardiance is a diabetic okay, well, drug. What, okay, well, what she has on her arm, she has been out of for like a couple of weeks because... The price of whatever that is, I don't have all the details, went from no cost to $500. So So we could not check her blood sugar. So when my daughter took her to the ER and texted me, she said her blood sugar, when they checked it at the ER, was 250. So she was experiencing extremely high high blood sugar, which is, which that's even worse. Low blood sugar will always cause symptoms, and it's actually dangerous. But low blood sugar only occurs when you're on a diabetic drug like Jardians. But again, we, without 
the continuous glucose monitor data, had she had that on, she may have dropped down into the 40s or 50s and then had a big spike, or she may have had a big spike and then dropped. From just a single finger stick, we don't know what was happening with her blood sugar just 30 minutes ago. We don't know what happened to it two hours ago or eight hours ago, but that's why I thought if she had that monitor on, somebody should have immediately checked her blood sugar data. Well, exactly, and I think myself personally maybe would have happened, and the only reason I say this, now that I have been with her and the kids full-time again, uh, you know, I, I get home on Fridays and leave on Mondays, so when I'm there over the weekend, you know, come 9, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning, it's almost like clockwork. She'll be like, oop, I got to eat a little something. I'm getting kind of jittery and a little dizzy, and she'll take a little something. So I was just going to say, I think maybe that's what was going on, but it is. she she's, did not really. She's full-blown diabetic. Yeah, she didn't know. Yeah. She is full-blown diabetic. If she can have numbers up in the 250 range, that, that's really high. Her symptoms are saying she's crashing in that early morning and she's feeling low blood sugar symptoms. And the doctors will actually tell you, drink some orange juice and eat a candy bar. I mean, what a horrible idea. Right. <laughs> but as long as she continues taking her doctor's advice, this will only continue to get worse for the rest of her life. After a while, Jardians won't be enough. They'll put her on Jardians and something else. Then they'll need another drug to counteract that. They will. You cannot control blood sugar. You cannot control diabetes. It will spiral out of control. You just have to eliminate it, and we can. But it takes a big commitment. Uh, and, if, and if she's ready well, to do that. Other than diet. Diet is the yeah. only way, and she has to be ready to commit to that diet. There's not a drug on the planet that's ever going to make her healthy. And when you talked about another medication, uh, they have recently, when you said they'll just uh, you know, add something to the Jardians or whatever, they recently put her on Monjero. Oh, no wonder why she lost Mon- weight. Okay. One of her diabetic it, the weight loss is caused or weight gain is caused by hormones. It's caused by insulin. And diabetics, when they start taking more insulin, tend to gain even more weight because that's what insulin does. It makes us gain weight. That's why type one diabetics, which is very different their body doesn't produce insulin anymore. That's why they lose so much weight. That's the first sign that somebody has type 1 diabetes. No matter how much they eat, they can't gain weight. So this is all tied together that her weight loss occurred because her blood sugar was getting out of control and they probably had her on some drug that was lowering insulin levels. And now the rage is Manjaro, Wagovi, Ozempic, people who are not diabetic are now taking those drugs to lose weight and doctors are prescribing them to lose weight. But it is a horrible, unhealthy way to do it. Got it. Hey, do you have time for me just to make one more comment? Sure. Uh, And this is uh, primarily for the listeners as well as you, too. So we all know if if anybody's listened to you for a length of time, any length of time, your take on statins. So 
a while back, and this was, by the way, during my newfound sobriety. It was around that time frame. My doctor convinced me to at least try, to at least try a statin. So I did, and it made me feel like crap. So I told her, I, I told her before I agreed to it why I was not supportive of it, which all came from you. And she's like, your triglycerides are off the chart. That I just let it go in one ear and out the other. So right. getting to my point, several, several, several months later, when I went back for a follow-up and she saw the weight loss and she did lab work, she's like, what what have you done? <laughs> and I was like, um, I've lost weight. I, I eat meat, cheese, and eggs. I drink water, black coffee, and unsweet tea. And I haven't had sugar and I don't know how long without any exaggeration. She's like, do you realize what that has done to you? And I was like, well, I have a pretty good idea. And she was like, your numbers are amazing. And she was like, so you did all that just on diet. And I yes. said, that would be correct, now, and I will keep it that way. Not only on just diet alone, but the diet the doctor would have likely had told you would kill you. Yes, yes. Right. Exactly. The, 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 most doctors, if you tell them all I'm going to do is eat meat, cheese, and eggs, they're going to tell you you're going to die of a heart attack in six months. That 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 they they believe <laughs> that too. It's one hundred percent false. Yeah. It couldn't be yeah. more false. But that that's their belief. That the the way we are healing people, they believe would actually kill people. When it's what they're doing that's yeah. killing people. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for taking so much time to talk to me. Sorry, listeners that are on hold. Um, That's what this show is for. I'm going to be very active, and needless to say, I'm going to be very active in listening to Audio Road now. And I look forward, I'll call in every now and then, Brian from Kentucky, and touch base with you. And, uh, you know... uh, uh, Chelsea told me that uh, your all's business is going great. I love to hear that, and I look forward to placing orders soon on your uh, well, store. You. I want to, I, I want to get some things. So good. If you're shipping to Brian right. Mishler in Kentucky, that would be me. All right, we we will talk to you again soon. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Uh, I had a thought there. What was it? I don't know. I just forgot it. So I'm going to go to another call. Uh, Casey, welcome. Hey, that's uh, amazing what that man has done to change his life. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, no doubt. Um, all right, so on some subjects that you had touched on, uh, you said you didn't know anybody that ever had lockjaw. When I was a kid, uh, one of my best friends, he got lockjaw from, and I cannot remember what it was, that was 45 years ago. But I do remember that he got lockjaw. So I do, I do know one person that got it. So tell me <laughs> this then, because I don't know, and I've never really gone to look or anything. What happens? Does it go away? I mean, what, what, what is it? I know you're, he, you're like, he, you can't move he, your jaw or you can't open your mouth, but I never knew right, anybody that had it. Right. They gave him a tetanus shot, and, it, and it, it was quick enough that it went away. I don't know if it hadn't been quick enough, if he would have suffered more paralysis or something. I have no idea, but yeah. it went away. He was young, of course. He was just a six, seven-year-old kid, and uh, he okay. got a tetanus shot, which I guess he hadn't gotten, and it, and it went away. Okay. I'm still not taking tetanus shots, but thank you for the story. 
Oh, no, me, <laughs> me either. And I've, and I've stepped on probably seven nails in my life. At least. Working on the farm with my yeah. dad and stuff. And oh, yeah. Oh, I've, I've, and, and, but I will never take another tetanus shot. Unless, of course, my jaw started to lock up. I guess, at, I guess at that point, <laughs> I might consider it too, yeah. Uh, on the second point, the um, you were talking about canning. Um, my wife has gotten, she's done canning for years, but she's gotten more and more into it, doing more meats and stuff like that. And when you talk about the induction stove, that's the one that has like the little LED lights underneath the glass top, correct? Um, I, I, I wouldn't use that as an indicator because I've seen some just pure electric cooktops that look okay. like that right. too. Here's the real okay. Here's All the right. real way to know. I mean, it it might even say induction on it. If you look up the model, it will tell you it's induction. That's the word we're looking for. I gotcha. But when I go to I gotcha. shop for pans, pots or pans, I take yep. a magnet with me. If a magnet right. won't gotcha. stick to the bottom of that pan, that pan will not work on an induction cooktop. Okay, so mine's not an induction; it's just a glass top because could be. She does. She uses the she uses the Presto. That's aluminum. Twenty-five quart canners. And yeah, and they work on her stove then, just fine. Then that's an and that's just that an electric talk- cooktop. Here's the difference. Yeah. Um, induction the. If you turn an induction burner on and put your hand on it, there is zero heat. It never, ever no, gets hot. Business, no. It, it, no, this gets hot. You don't want to touch these things. Oh, right. That's a true electric coil. This induction has to, it's a kind of like a wave, like an infrared wave, and it reacts with okay. iron and causes heat. So the cooktop itself doesn't get hot, only the pan does. I got you. I understand, yep, yep. All right. And you talked about the, uh, oh, the the gas burner, three burner thing. Yeah, uh, Camp Chef. Uh, Camp Chef. I happen to have one. Aren't and they I awesome? I mentioned to her about doing it. I, I've only, actually, I've only used it as kind of a, griddle because i have a flat top griddle piece that goes over two of the burners yeah i bought that too i have used it (laughs) right and we got well and then we just basically uh last year we bought a black uh blackstone to replace that and she said well we can get rid of that camp chef thing and i said no no no." i said there's plenty of uses for that with big pots and stuff like that and i said you could do canning over that she said no i'm not getting my Nice aluminum pot, all black. <laughs> oh, it comes right off. It shouldn't get black oh. anyway. Just it, it, once you get the heat uh, adjusted, it's, it's, right? It's, it's it burning right. It, yeah, it should, right, shouldn't right. get it black. Should stay and, down. And, and, and those are really good quality oh. burners on there, too. That's the other thing I like about it. Oh, yeah. They, it's a nice, oh, yeah. clean awesome. flame, right? Here's another good use, because yep. you just told me you have an electric stove, right? Yep. Wouldn't you want this camp chef when the power goes out? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes, don't get rid of yeah, that thing. You set it right up and go. No, I won't. Believe me, I love it. I, yeah. It's a neat little unit. I, I can think of a billion things that I could do when I get the time to be able to do them. Like, you know, and, like I say, a big a big pot of stew on it or, a big, you know, yeah. whatever. Or, like you said, I love cooking on a flat top, and this is an awesome flat top because you can buy a big a piece that fits right over the two burners, and you've got a nice instant flat top. 
Oh, yeah, it works good. It works excellent. Yep, definitely. I mean, I um, could... One more little... Technically, I could have my canner going on one burner, and I could be cooking lunch on the other two burners with the flat top. Yep, definitely could. Yep. I've cooked a lot of bacon on that thing. I'll bet. I'll bet. <laughs> and bacon makes now, everything um, better. It does. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the other day, somebody mentioned something about a Navage. Now, I know you don't care for them, but do you know what they use in the Navage for cleaning your nasal passages? Uh, if I thought about it, I should probably be able to figure it out. But now it's... it's it, it's, 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 it's distilled water and saline. Okay. So distilled water and that's salt. That's all it is that's in it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't... That's it. That's all that's in it. I don't worry about what's in it. That, that's not my issue. I knew it was just water and salt, which is, you know, much, much better than people that start to use a lot of nasal sprays to kind of keep their nostrils open. That stuff is bad for you. It's addictive. Right. It makes things worse. Yes. So, yeah, I, I get it. Exactly. My th- There's two thoughts on this. One, um, there are lots and lots of cases of people causing problems with these devices because they grow mold over time. That's a pretty yeah, common very occurrence. About that. Right. You got to clean them really, really well. And if you don't, you could cause more problems than you're solving. Then ultimately right. for me, it always comes back to why do I need this? And when I'm oh, eating, when I'm eating healthy and living healthy, I don't. I have zero need for something like this. So the living healthy part is why I have to use it. My I did body work for 28 years, and my sinuses are a mess. Oh, I'll bet. When I do, I, 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 have my own, I have my own shop at home, and I do I only work on my own stuff. Now, driving truck, I don't have time to work on anybody else's stuff. But just recently, I've been working on one of my pickups, having to redo the bottom of the bed on it. So I'm doing a lot of welding and grinding and stuff. And even with a welding mask that, fits me, well, it doesn't fit me great because my schnoz is pretty good size, too. Uh, I will still get black stuff that Got will it. come out of my sinuses. Yeah, that makes so sense, after I, after I get that done, plus I drive, what I drive is I drive sometimes a bulk truck of green, and I, that dust blows all around, and I will, when I'm doing that for weeks at a time sometimes, I will flush no, my I, nose I, every day to get that crap out of there. I, I get it, and that makes total sense to me. I, I used to work in a body yeah, I shop. I used to do a lot of painting. I yep. remember what it's like to blow your nose and have it be the exact same color as the car you just painted. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, now I, I get it. Clean up your nose and do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, they, they, it can be. And I mean, it's obviously done damage to it because, especially on the right side. That side, when I'm doing any work out in the shop and getting that kind of dust and, and fumes and stuff, that side will plug right up and my, my eye will water. Yeah. Now, that, make, that makes sense. And it does help me in that manner a lot. It helps just flush that crap out of my head it, and keeps me from getting an infection or something that gets much worse. Well, and it, it's just, the, you know, we, up there. we know all that stuff isn't good for us. So when you are exposed, and, and oh, that, yeah, no that is advice I would give to somebody else. If you have an occupation or something about your lifestyle where you are constantly getting these contaminants um, into your nostrils, yeah. then yes, I would use something like this. 
Yeah. I could never use a net I potty. I was always afraid I would drown with the damn thing. But this thing, because it, it, it sucks the water right, right straight back through out. on its yeah. own. Right. Right back out. It, it, I finally started using that. And ever since I did, the relief from all that and, and the stuff that comes out of your head after working out in the shop like that yeah. is just well, good. disgusting and amazing. Yeah. Good. <laughs> good. All righty. Thank you, Kevin. All I'll right. Talk again soon. Yep. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. We are going to wrap this up for today. I, holy cow, we're at the three-hour mark. I didn't even realize that. Uh, that show flew by today. Good stuff. I'm going to go get on with my day. I will see you back here tomorrow for an hour of free-for-all and then rolling toe. And we'll see you on Friday for uh, technology and efficiency and uh, another Friday free-for-all. Be safe. Be profitable, be fit and healthy, always do the hard work and master the journey.